askgunquestions.com is a website that we built back in 2007. And since then, for the last 15 years, people have been able to ask questions of simple to advanced nature, and we attempt to answer them in different ways over the years. Join us now as we start a new series to answer gun questions. Oh, I got my other video plan. All right, welcome everybody to askgunquestions.com, where we uh, go live every Saturday. I normally invite Clover Tech out of Texas and then Tony Simon from New Jersey. I'm out here in Arizona, and uh, we answer the questions that come in over at askgunquestions.com website. And uh, this week, we thought we'd flip the tables a little bit and make it a game show. So uh, Clover's not showing up. Not sure what's up with that. So uh, he'll either show up late or he's not showing up. We're not sure how many people are out there. I don't know if I posted this at the wrong time or not. But uh, thanks, Tony, for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me on, man. We've been kind of chatting off air here. So thanks, everybody, for your patience. If you've been sitting out there, I know 500 Magnum was out there. Uh, there are some other people out there, but they're not saying, hey, so we don't know who they are. But uh, what I did is I went into the... My favorite, my new best friend, the chat, uh, internet robots, the uh, AI. And I said, list some good prompts. So I said, list, give me some things I should tell you so that you make me a game show with two or three hosts and a live audience. So, so I said, in other words, give me the instructions to tell you how for you to make me something interesting, right? And here's the ingredients, two, two or three live hosts and an, and an interactive audience. So it's actually pretty neat. And it gave, I didn't tell it how many to give me. I said, list some, and it gave me 10 really interesting ideas that the first one, I'll give you a hint. The first one says, create a game show that involves trivia questions and physical challenges for two to three hosts and a live audience, which is a summary of what I asked it to do. So that's a pretty good prompt. But the other ones kind of go nuts from there. So I took the second one and I went back to the AI and I took that second prompt that it gave me and I added this. I said, design a game. So the second prompt was design a game show that combines quiz questions and creative challenges to engage the live audience and keep the hosts on their toes. So it's like, okay, that sounds interesting. What's it going to do to do that, right? But then I added in there, create a game show that is an intermediate intermediate level gun quiz so that it, you know, is focused on what we care about here this afternoon, gun stuff. So here's what it came up with. It calls it the locked and loaded. So that's the name of the show that the robot AI came up with. How weird is that? <laughs> yeah. Do, do, uh, do they get to sue them? Do they get to sue the robot AI for stealing their, <laughs> their channel name? But uh, so gameplay, two consistents will compete against each other in a series of rounds each consisting of both quiz questions and creative challenges related to guns and firearms. The quiz questions will cover a variety of topics related to guns, history, safety, terminology, and usage. The creative challenges contestants will have to perform tasks such as, uh-oh, assembling and disassembling a gun, identifying different types of guns based on their appearance or sound, or solving a puzzle related to guns. And uh, the next one is each round consists of a mix of quiz questions and challenges with the difficulty increasing as the game progresses. The contestants will have a certain amount of time to answer each quiz question and compete the challenge with points awarded based on their speed and accuracy. Uh, 
there'll be a live audience present who will have the opportunity to participate in some of the challenges and win prizes. Oh, well, this sounds great. Uh, the hosts, we'll have two hosts. Uh, uh oh, it says one male and one female. I didn't ask it about that. And all of a sudden, one of us has got to be female. Uh oh. Who uh, <laughs> will guide the contestants through the game and provide commentary on their performance. The hosts will also engage with the live audience and encourage them to participate. So if you're a live audience out there, we encourage you to participate. The prizes, all of a sudden it came up with prizes too. The winner of each round will receive a prize, such as a gift card or a piece of gun-related merchandise. So I don't know what platform this thing is on, but the internet or the robot don't even care. It's just like, give away guns. Uh, <laughs> the grand prize is for the overall winner will be customized gun designed by a famous gunsmith, along with a one-of-a-kind display case. <laughs> so wow. there you go. It's hard to be actually giving away guns. I don't know where these guns are coming from, but I guess I'll leave that to Tony. I'm doing the work telling the computer what to do. Tony will figure out where to get the free guns to give away. Uh, safety. It's important to emphasize safety throughout the show. For a quiz show, really? And all gun-related challenges will be overseen by trained professionals to ensure that proper safety procedures are followed. I mean, I'm, I'm glad, I guess I'm glad it made me say that so that YouTube doesn't freak out because we're saying guns. But come on, AI robot, what are you doing? Safety in a gun quiz? I guess if they're having us disassemble and stuff, I guess that's good advice. Contestants will be required to sign waivers and undergo background checks to ensure that they are legally allowed to handle firearms. What's up with that? <laughs> you okay with the robot telling you you got to find a a background check and a waiver to handle a firearm not even to own one yeah just to look at it and fiddle with it but uh i mean i guess i can understand like that kind of legal protection boilerplate what sort like you know just uh preventative whatever but definitely a little bit crazy when all i asked it was for the game show for two hosts and, and a live audience right uh, but then it says that's the basic outline for the locked and loaded game show. It combines quiz questions and creative challenges. So that was it. That's all it gave me. So I said, list 12 creative questions for this game. And it did. So then I went, how about list 12 creative questions with answers? And it did. So now I have 12 questions with answers here. And then I said 10 creative challenges. So at this point, Clover was scared to show up. We all know that Clover was invited. He's He's got a seat at the table. But... He saw that it was a, a quiz generated by robots and he was a scared, so he didn't show up. So now it's Tony and I don't know, if, if I'm gonna be the host and we don't have the female host, then I could make my one dog, but she's always sleeping. Um, then I don't know how we're gonna run this. We might set this up for another day, um, in which case, I don't know if I should talk about these, but let me read through them here. The 10 creative challenges, the first one would be super neat. Like definitely would be cool, but it would be difficult to facilitate. The second one, if we were all in one room, it would definitely be easy and it'd be very cool. Uh, the second one can be done over the line and it is super cool. We've done it before actually. Uh, the shooting range challenge, I guess I leaked one of them. We're not gonna be able to do that one unless we're somewhere. Um, this one is really cool. Uh, I really, really like this next one, number five. Uh, number six is creative, but we would have to be in the same place at a range together. 
there's a quick draw challenge, for example. Number seven is a quick draw challenge. Again, we might be able to facilitate that with video, actually. Has anybody ever seen some kind of quick draw challenge on one of these live things? So let's say that you took a red gun and you holstered it and you turned your camera on and you stood far enough away, you know, 10 paces from the camera, and then you do a quick draw. Everybody in the audience can tell who draw first, you know, who hit first. Is anybody doing that? Solving their solving their things with a virtual duel or just having a virtual duel shootout thing? I feel like as long as the both computers are at the same amount of lag, it could work. Yeah, right. That that would be the problem. Well, it's just like a video game. I think it's about the same thing. You know, there's not there's some lag, but everybody's lag would be, you know, kind of around the same place. I don't know. I don't think anybody's doing it. And I think you could, and it would be safe because everybody's just pointing at a camera. I don't know why people aren't doing that. Why people should be doing it. So next going on to the next one, eight is pretty good too. We've done it before and it works. Uh, the next one, <laughs> here's what it says. And I'm just going to read what the robot came up with for physical challenge, right? Blind target shooting. Contestants will be blindfolded and have to hit a target using only verbal directions oh from their partner. Oh my God. <laughs> some people are going to say the robots are reckless, and some people are going to say the robots are cool. Some people are going to say the robots are going to try to be our partner and then have the humans shoot each other. <laughs> a little bit more to your left. A little bit more to your left. You're telling the other guy, a little bit more to your right. A little bit more to your right. One, two, three, boom. And then the robot's like, ha, ha, ha. Right, so... Uh, <laughs> Skynet's trying to Skynet's trying to trick us into killing ourselves. Yeah, exactly. They're like, oh, no big deal. Just blindfold yourselves. Hold the gun. We're going to tell you where to shoot it. It's all totally safe here. No problem. I'm a robot AI. Don't worry about it. Well, um, now we know why they gave that uh, uh, warning in the beginning. <laughs> yeah, sign a waiver. It's robot AI. It's not that. It's our fault. If something happens, here's something's going to happen. All right. So uh, actually, these are all super cool. So I'm actually going to just incorporate this into some kind of... Uh, actual show because it's actually super neat all right so defense dad is out there and uh, i need to talk to him and travis about a project um i guess he could tell me how many people you think are showing up at this uh thunder on the prairie event that we've all heard so much about it's the room it's the scuttlebutt of the internet these days uh oh, did yeah. you go out you didn't go out to that event did you no never been out to that Okay, when you went to Nebraska, it was for Polite Society doing something? No, it was uh, for the Nebraska Firearms Owners Association. <clears throat> they actually hosted a diversity shoot, and that's what I went to. Oh, okay, so it was literally just they hosted the diversity shoot. I thought you were going there. I thought you went there with something or like mm -mm. after something. Okay, cool. So, um, oh, yeah, I needed to ask him if he knows how many people are attending. So the Thunder on the Prairie is an event that they do out in the Nebraska uh, where they go out to a range and a bunch of YouTubers show up and it's getting a little bit larger with, uh, I think there's some manufacturers or some gun shops or something helping and uh, get together essentially a day of shooting. 30, he says. Okay, thanks. So nice. then... Uh, um, I guess we can dig over into the questions. I'm not going to say Clover ruined the tactical quiz or the uh, tactical game show because he didn't know it was going to be a tactical game show. 
but uh, I just don't want to do it with this, the two of us. We could probably figure out a way to have more fun with three because then I can make these guys uh, challenge each other and people could be on your teams or something like that. Um, so instead, we'll go to the plain old Ask Gun Questions list over here. We'll see if we've got any new questions coming in. The uh, website is essentially just a form, a Google form. We're not asking for anything. We're not harvesting emails or anything. Just uh, ask questions if you've got them. And then on Saturdays, we get together and answer them as just old people that have owned guns for a long time in different parts of the country and with different like you know, levels of interest in these things over the years. And then uh, probably different experiences. So I'm gonna, so we got a whole bunch of them this week. Actually, four came in this week, uh, which is pretty good for a week of kind of a non, I don't think it was really a political week. Uh, when I do my weekly wrap up, I always ask the audience if it was a great week, a good week, an okay week, or a bad week. If you had to summarize last week, I know you had other things going on also, but from what you were paying attention to last week, what would you call it? Great, good, okay, or bad for 2A? Um, oh, I think we had a great week uh, for 2A, uh, starting with Monday morning when they signed the uh, constitutional carry in Florida. I mean, that kicked the week off. Um, <clears throat> them kicking the bump stock up to the Supreme Court. Uh, that's also good because that's going to be a W if they hear it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, just on those two things off the top of my head, I know we had a good week last week. Right on. Uh, just going to show everybody what I got to deal with here. He's got a little place to hang out, but he's sprawled out upside down all over onto here. And I'm supposed to try to be typing. And this is this is unnecessary. I feel like he's going to wear out his welcome here at some point. He is so extra yeah. <laughs> for no reason. I was petting him a little bit. And he's just like, oh, if I'm getting petted, I'm just taking over the whole counter here. So it's okay when he's over yeah. here minding his business, but look, I can't even get my, yeah, I can't do nothing. All right, so uh, getting back to the things. I'm going to go in, well, they all kind of came in around the same time. Let's go backwards order. Uh, I didn't read them, so I don't think they stack on each other or anything. The first one is my Mossberg 500A pump is getting stuck or stiff in the rear position. When I pull it back, it takes a hell of a lot of force to get it all the way back and even more to push it forward. I disassembled and reassembled it multiple times watching different YouTube tutorials. The gun is lubed and clean. Not sure why it's getting stiff. So I don't know, do you have any experience with this uh, 500A specifically? No, actually I've, um, <clears throat> no I don't because my shotguns are all um, Winchester uh, type actions. And if I had a problem with it like that, after I dis disassemble it and check and see if anything's rubbing or dragging, I'd take it to a gunsmith. I mean, my FFL is my gunsmith, so I'm already comfortable with them and know who it is. You know what I mean? So I might be different than other people because your guy might not be that. But, yeah, just have someone professionally look at it. Quit messing around. I mean, get your thing fixed before you could do more damage yourself trying to figure it out. Yeah, I think that's something that people don't uh, maybe appreciate or pay attention to maybe is um, diagnostics and um, I guess diagnostics. 
a lot of that is experience. So uh, just having seen a bunch of them. So I'm looking to see what it looks like inside of here. This is a pretty, pretty good picture of the pieces, but it's not showing parts. Of um, I look at a schematic or whatever, that's pretty detailed and tough to see. Here's a pretty good picture of what it might look like on the inside. So essentially, this is how most people are going to take it apart. Uh, yep. It's probably this part, whatever these things are called, these like arm thingies that go in and go down some tracks and mm -hmm. your carrier or whatever it's called in a shotgun. And if you've already cleaned it and you made sure that those rails aren't dirty, I'm thinking something's bent because it can get dirty. Shotguns can get filthy in there. Is that called transfer rails? Is that, is that what that's called? Yeah, I just don't remember anymore. It's been a long, long time. When I was a little kid, I don't know about you, when I was going, I was in Civil Air Patrol. So when I was going into the uh, Army, I knew I was going. So I did everything I could to get prepped or do stuff beforehand. And yep. uh, one of the things I could do, and I, it wasn't through Civil Air Patrol. That's how I figured out about it, is you could essentially... I think anybody could, because I, I don't think you had to be in, but maybe it was when I was in. I really can't remember more, but I know I took mail order classes. And back in the old mm -hmm. days, before there was an internet, you would, they would just send you this booklet. And then you'd read the booklet a bunch of times and fill out the test and then send it back. It was open book, obviously. So it was super boring. And like it was essentially just going through the paces because you could take as much time as you wanted and there was no official nothing. You just took the test and then send it back in. So anyway, I took like every small arm uh, armors course that way. So that nice. was my experience learning shotguns and stuff for the shotguns I didn't already own or whatever, or have experience with, because we didn't own Mossbergs when I was a kid. So just, you know, understanding an 870 and then, okay, well, Mossberg's different, but still got the same stuff and it just looks different or it's, you know, but yeah, I don't remember what those parts are called, but at one point, uh, you know, whatever you call an armor, taking it apart, putting it back together, going, oh, this is broken. Either I need a new gun or I need a new part put the broken one over here until the new part comes in. You know, that's basically the job of an armor. Uh, you're not a gunsmith where it's like, oh, this part mm -hmm. is broken. Let me diagnose it and fix it. That's a gunsmith. And that doesn't happen from what I got experience with. But that's what I'm thinking is it's, if it's something that's not cleaning, then it's probably something bent, misaligned, jammed, spring, goofy. It's dead springs do goofy things on guns. And if you're not experienced taking it apart and putting them together, you know, hunt, you know multiple different guns and you're taking your your gun with your dead spring apart and putting it back together you don't know that spring's dead you're just putting that spring back in and out a person who's seen 70 springs knows there's something wrong with that spring and they wouldn't put it back together with the dead spring so it could be something bent it could be some lever not lifting because of a dead spring or a broke spring and you know it could be any number of things it could be a kind of piece of dirt somewhere that's moving something that doesn't let a spring do what it's supposed to be doing. So yeah, like well, I made this. Yeah, I made this. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, I made the assumption that they'd already because they said they checked out a bunch of YouTube videos already, and it wasn't there. So I'm like, all right. So you've taken it apart. I'm assuming you probably Googled your problem. I mean, uh, when when I say. When, you, when they said they'd gone through YouTube videos, I'm figuring they hit the entire internet up, looking for their problem, checking out Reddit posts and things like that. And if you've exhausted all of that and you still haven't found it yet, take it to a professional and have them talk you through it. Like, hey, what, what did you guys do to fix it? Because I looked. And after, 
you you already paid them. You already hired them to do the work, so there shouldn't be much of a problem with them telling telling you what they did to resolve your problem, and then use that as a learning uh, uh, tool. No shame in paying somebody to do the work, especially if you already looked. Can't know everything, but you spend the money. Now you know it. Yeah, exactly. And now you know what the symptoms are. And if it is something like the the guy goes or the gunsmith says, oh, yeah, it was X, Y, Z. And the solution was a new blah, blah, blah or whatever. Now, you know, the next time you see that. Right. So it's totally worth it. You're basically paying for that short course in the explanation right, or that short course in diagnostics and then repair. For people that are thinking, oh, everything's DIY. Um, this is a pretty good representation of a shotgun, though. There's a barrel, and they usually just come in and out on a shotgun. They don't need any kind of gunsmithing or anything. They just fit in and out, even if they're not like a takedown, something or another. The barrels are never really in a shotgun very hard. I'm not sure, probably because they lend themselves to need, you know, to being multi-use. So you're going to use a different type of barrel in a bird shotgun that's chasing a moving bird that's little versus a big moving bird, which needs to be hit differently. You know, you need more stuff, you need more power to hit a big bird than a little bird. And then that's different than what you would shoot a deer with. And that's different than home defense. And that's different probably than sports. So because that same shotgun chassis is expensive and why buy a new gun for all those different things, you might be able only, you might be only doing two or three different things with your gun, but if you can buy two barrels and accomplish those two or three things, I think that's probably why they just always made shotgun barrels pretty easy to remove. Sometimes I shouldn't say that. Sometimes they're kind of a pain to unscrew up here. Sometimes I even need a tool thing. The barrel, these bars, I don't know if this is the same thing, or something, some name for these things, but essentially you've got some way for bullet the shells to go in, and then you need some ways for shells to into that Phantom barrel uh, and then you're safe so most of them are just different lines to do this some of them let you slam fire me and hold the trigger and pump and then the gun will just keep going and that's kind of fun some people don't like that and they don't want their gun to be able to do that some <laughs> designs can't allow that and then you've got uh, where to put the shells into either the bottom or the side i guess yeah they're side loaders and then um where the safety is. Sometimes it's up here on the back. Sometimes it's down near the trigger. Uh, and then what am I missing? Uh, but essentially there's a little primer on shotguns. Of course, stocks can be different and the foreguard, handguards can be different. Barrel are the tubes under here, the, where the, the shells go. Uh, that's gonna be a different amount. It's interesting that they did all this and they didn't pull the recoil or the uh, magazine spring out. So in this particular gun, this must be a uh, like a fixed thing up here because this screws into it. So this doesn't come off up here. You probably have to unscrew it here or probably pull it out through here. I would have thought they just pull out the spring through here for some kind of a takedown like this. All right. Well, that's a little primer on the shotguns. Um, I think we both agree. Clover would have probably said to get rid of the shotgun. He's not a big fan of them. We'll just assume that's what he would have said. Uh, what is what 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 year would a high standard double nine with a serial number eight five seven seven two? So what year would that be? 
Do you think that's something that's commonly available on the internet? I don't know because it's not like it's a, I mean, a high standard is, is a big company and an old company. They might have it. I know Winchester does stuff like that. You can look up their serial numbers. I don't know if high standard does. So what I'm going to do is, is exactly what Tony said there, that some of the companies keep track of that stuff and some of them don't. And the ones that did keep track, some people cared and some people didn't, I guess. So, you know, if the company kept track, but nobody really bought those guns, then the records might be lost. But something like Colt or Smith & Wesson, whenever Colt got rid of them, they gave them to the museum. And now the museum charges you 100 bucks every time they open the books up and look through there. So the books have value. Uh, let's see, type uh, high standard double nine serial number list. So sometimes the lists are like open source and people on a forum somewhere have just listed them. Maybe there's a website that li literally lists them. Uh, and then sometimes there's books and people will scan the books and have the books pages scanned. And then other times it's, uh, you can look at the blue book of values. And sometimes the blue book will give you some insight as to the age of the gun based on the serial number because they're trying to help you with the prices. But right here, we have serial numbers for I guess this is high standard. So what was their question? A high standard double nine? I don't know enough about high standards. Is there how many models of high standard are there? Are there a bunch? Or are they all double nines? Don't know. Let me check it out. Because high standard makes <clears throat> like some uh, traditional guns, and then they just make some crazy shit stuff. Wow. So this one, oh, let me go back to the question. The question was, what year would be a high standard double nine with a serial number 85772? If, in fact, 85772 would be 8,500, so that would be around year 1940, if I'm reading this right. Oh, okay, yeah, it, that's what I was going to check out. If this is the right, if I'm looking at the right model, like this is, this just says regular serial numbers uh, for high standard by high standard location. But this, you know, again, if they have like six different models, then this definitely is going to be a different list of serial numbers. Essentially, that's what you're looking for, or something like this. Now, like Tony said, assuming that you've already looked at this kind of stuff, we don't have a book. Clover might have a book. Here's how you find out, though. I would, um, or if you don't have a book, how another way you can find out, call around. Call pawn shops. They're not stupid. And if the good pawn shop, especially a pawn shop that has guns and has been in business for a while, so they're successful as a pawn shop, they're going to know what they're talking about. And if they're relying on some old guy in the back, they're not going to have a book. But if they're creating a system that everybody can use to understand what guns are worth, they might have a stack of these books and they may have a stack of these books with printouts that supplement them, you know, with like modern prices or something. So um, those price books will almost always give you serial number ranges because that's part of the way they value them. Um, otherwise collectors. So there might be some forums out there. I know some of the guns I'm a big fan of specifically have forums just for those guns. And I know that other guns have them, so I'm sure High Standard probably has them. I'm gonna go look. Yeah, at Standard. 
Yeah, it's a, a, a single action army looking uh, revolver. Uh, oh, a revolver. Shit. Okay, mm-hmm. okay, okay. Then it <clears> probably <throat> isn't the serial number list I was looking at. This is something different. But yeah, Cowboy but- Gun like this, how many people owned this because they couldn't buy a Colt or something else? And then. Mm-hmm. They want to know about this, or I want to know because Grandpa had this, or you know, my dad's. This was his first gun type of thing. Or what is this? It says double nine. It's not a nine millimeter. Okay. No, no, it's twenty twos. Nine shot twenty two. Mm-hmm. Nice. I might have. So this is, that. yeah, this is like the the Ruger Wrangler that's out now. Or um, now I think this is single action, so it's not like the Diamondback revolver that they have out. That's actually double single. Which is cool. <laughs> yeah, I think I own one of these actually. Nice. Looking at this, it looks like this. It's not a very expensive gun or anything. They look way Got cooler it. with wood grips, though. What do you like better, this uh, bone or antler or whatever? This supposed to be ivory or standard wood? Or the old, well, then there's whatever this is, like ebony wood or something, ironwood, or uh, the black rubber, like that, I don't know, vulcanized rubber or whatever that was called, like the old cold yeah. stuff, like old rubber. What's your... Yeah, because I'm looking at it, and I mean, the one I'm looking at is really clean with the rubber grip. Uh, the stag grip was really nice to look at, but when you're shooting stag grips, they really have no grip. Yeah, they're really slippery, <laughs> yeah, but they yeah, look really yeah. They look cool. And, you know, me, because of what I do, I'm going to have other people shooting it. So I'd probably go for the either uh, the utilitarian rubber grip or the wood one, because I know they're grippy, but they look traditional. I find the sights unique on these things because it didn't doesn't use the gutter sights. I actually use a rear pistol sight. Yeah. And it's uh, not trying to be a draw gun or nothing. It's definitely just being a uh... A shooting gun. Mm-hmm. Oh, this one with the with the bird's head grip. Bird's head, nice. I get behind that. Oh heck yeah! Although that this looks, looks pretty knit too. I don't know. I guess it's all nickel <laughs> out or something. You can tell there's a yeah. lot of effort into this. So they pin the barrels. I mean, they were making these things just probably less expensively, but putting in a lot of time on that gun. There's there's a lot of processes right there make it okay so that's a cool question yeah i, I was thinking semi-auto so yeah i don't think any of us are going to know that one like say the best source are going to be a, a successful pawn shop or a gun store that sells old stuff uh maybe an auction house you might be able to call and ask if they'd be willing to um look it up for you look it up but uh you know it just kind of depends on their day probably how they're doing and if you're wondering about auction houses, I mean, again, online, what was the one? Murphy's, I think, is one of the firearms-related auction houses also. Um, I wonder how much information uh, Cheryl Todd has with the work that they do. Oh, yeah, with all the auctions and then having the mm-hmm. score. Yeah, Dan's probably got a bunch of And it goes into something you already deal with and people we already know. Oh, yeah. I think we already talked about this one, or maybe not. 
uh, let me know if we already talked about this one. It says gun bike in Tacoma, uh, $100 per gun. Should I take three to five broken guns and sell them and use the money for 2A causes? Is that anti-gun or crazy like a fox? What if 100 people took old broken guns and sold them to buybacks to raise funds for 2A? Did we talk about this one in here already? No, we didn't. I, I think that's interesting. So here's, okay, go ahead. Um, well, my thing, because I did talk about this somewhere. My thing okay. is that if it comes from like a church or Bloomberg, for sure, but if it comes from like private civic sources, they kind of could be taught a lesson. I understand that, right? Like they're dumb and these things are invalid. So whatever. But when they're being sold to government, when it's our tax dollars, I'm against the whole everything. And abusing them is taking tax dollars from somebody and grabbing it out of a, a system, exploiting a broken system. I'm just, I can't get behind that. I understand the people that are with it, down with it. I'm not going to be down with it. And I'm not going to say that you can't be or that you shouldn't be. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm just not going to, because I just haven't, I can't see the positive of that. I would, and then, so that's the thing is I understand the mechanism. I just don't necessarily want to be part of it, but at the same time, the mechanism needs to be, ex, what's the word, exposed. And if exploitation of it helps expose it, all right. But uh, I guess my thing is I really don't like buybacks. They're they're bad. They're only PR. They're, they're super dangerous because they're letting criminals get rid of their evidence without questions. And they, again, they're just moving the Overton window that somehow guns are so dangerous that they need. When's, where's the knife buybacks? When is it turn in your, your dangerous extra knives that you got laid around so that the kids don't steal them and use them to kill each other? Where's the drug buybacks? Where's all your prescription drugs? Where's all those unused bongs or whatever? Like, they're not doing that for other things. This is just a way to, to help them. The thing is, we need to against them and I, I can't but I'll um, are you there I shut up okay. because I think I'm losing my internet over here but I don't know if you got my whole thing there and if I broke up but it started so that, breaking up around the end yeah okay then I'm done yeah that's my that's my point I'm just repeating myself <clears throat> I think there's the two camps <clears throat> of thought. What you just said, are you facilitating their overall propaganda mission? <clears throat> and whose money are you taking? Are you taking Bloomberg's money? And he's funding it through one of his many organizations? Or is it like put on by the sheriff's office and, and it's taxpayer money? If you see a difference, I totally get it. And I understand either way. Uh, I think it's a good thing. You donate to Second Amendment causes because that's the fight. As far as the Sheriff's Department, we're funding that as taxpayers anyway. So if you do it to fight them, it's one way to handle it. <clears throat> so it's up to you. I think it's a good idea to get rid of your broken guns anyway. It's not like you're going to get them. You're not going to get money from them uh, by taking them to a gun shop. Compared to how much money you'll get from them to take them to a buyback. And if that's how you fight back, that's how you fight back. 
Plus, <laughs> take pictures of them, post them on social media. Hey, they broke. They, they bought a broken gun from me. <clears throat> or maybe spend a few bucks, fix the gun, sell the gun, and then take that money and and, and do it. And oh, you sell the firearm yourself. That's an interesting one, and you could do like a video on the, one of those platforms that doesn't care about making a video about that too. That'd be interesting. That's a good. I was sitting here muted, uh, saying stuff. So, um, sorry to leave you hanging there. The um, uh, I put up a poll so people can, uh, for the first part or one part of the question, should they take three to five guns and sell them and use the money for two A causes? So you can vote on this if you're listening live over on the big channel, the gun websites channel. Uh, we got a poll going over there, so feel free to participate. I've talked with YouTube today. That's free. You can vote in that poll for free. So um, uh, the broken guns thing, I was going to say, what I always say about broken guns is give them to a budding gunsmith. Whenever kids are going into gunsmith school, they'll come into gun shops and go, oh, are there any broken guns? So again, pawn shops and some gun shops that have been around a while have probably experienced this. Um, gun shops that are new only deal with ARs or like only deal with CCW. Maybe they don't deal with it, but like a gun shop that has used guns will eventually get enough gunsmith kids coming in or kids going into gunsmith school coming in. It's almost always kids, kids coming out of the army. I'm sorry, I'm calling them kids, but you know what I mean? Uh, young people who are into the thing and they're going to come into a gun shop and go, Hey, I need, and I need like this list. I need a shotgun. I need a revolver, you know, cause the gunsmith school is going to have them mess with the mechanics. They're going to mess with the wood. They're going to mess with, you know, fix the unrepairable or, you know, so they're going to, a lot of gunsmith schools have this list of guns that if you can bring them, bring them and broken is fine. You know, so that way the kids are only paying like 60 bucks a gun or something, ideally. But anyway, so if a gun shop has had enough gunsmith students come in. Most gun shops, I would want your garbage, but gunsmith students definitely we're going to sell it but you it's like there will be a kid that'll learn from this um so that's what i was going to say about the broken part but you're adding the part about fix it yourself that's a great idea because it's so easy nowadays to like you just said like we just talked about somebody could watch a video on how to do just about anything and if it ain't out there you could go up to somebody like clover or uh echo or ar guns or somebody and say hey uh can you do me a video on how to do this thing that I haven't found a video for. And if they got the time, you know, then sure. Yeah, now there's another video out there that talks about how to mess with something. But um, what about the, is that, is, uh, what if a hundred people took broken guns and sold them? I've seen, have you seen the thing? It was years ago now. It was the first time I remember really seeing something happen in front of everybody and everybody getting behind it. And it was a place in Illinois. And this was probably 14, somewhere between like 12 and 14. I'm sure Tony remembers, the other Tony out there, artist and Tony remembers this, but I think you were around by then already. I don't know if you remember this, but in, in Illinois, I think uh, a gun club had taken all of, they had said to their members, bring in your broken guns. They had collected all these broken guns, and then I forget who it was. Someplace in they were in the, the gun club was like central or southern Illinois. Someplace in northern Illinois, they waited until they did a buyback for a hundred bucks a gun, and took all these broken guns up there and got I think like five thousand dollars. Came back to their club, went to the place, the store, and bought five thousand dollars worth of new guns so that they outfitted their kids' rifle club with all new guns. Nice. 
right? <laughs> and they made a big deal about it. And it was like five grand. And it came from, I can't remember. I think it came from like a church or something. So it was like kind of win, win, win. Like the people who are dumb enough to get behind this, like let's let the criminals get rid of their crime guns, no questions asked, because we're so scared of one particular dangerous thing. Like, you know what I mean? Like they're just not even thinking about this, but they're told, hey, this is going to be great PR. You know, you're going to be able, to, you're going to be heroes. You're taking stuff off the street. You know, they get, they get talked into it. So I can see like, okay, if you're going to throw a bunch of people's money out there for this, you're going to get what you wanted, a bunch of broken stuff, a bunch of stuff that people don't want. You know, nobody's, you know, nobody's paying $1,000, $1,200 for an AR and then saying, you know what, I've been uh, told on the news that I made a bad decision. Let's just get rid of this for $100. Mm-hmm. You know, where is that happening? Um, and if it is happening, can you think of like uh, a parent who's not paying attention uh, or just a spouse who's not paying attention or whatever the circumstances are. And then somebody buys something for 1200 bucks, thousand bucks, $700 and then, or $1,700, who knows. Right. And then that other person, that spouse, that parent, that whatever, maybe the son of a daughter of an older person or something says, you know what, we'd, we've, we've talked about it. Let's make the decision, get rid of this thing. The best place to do is take it to that buyback for and get a hundred dollar gift card. Where is that value? Where is oh, that? I'll tell you you know what I mean? Like, that's just oh, ridiculous. Yeah. It should be get as much value out of that as you can. And now, you know, move on and, and have rented that gun instead of donated that gun to you're just giving that money away to nobody, really. But anyway, go ahead. Oh, I've seen it happen here in Jersey because these people are brainwashed. Um, large population, because now <clears throat> you have guys that are passing away that are the, the World War II, Korea, Vietnam era veterans that are dying, that are gun owners in the state that didn't require all this silliness, you know, when they were young men buying guns or when they were middle aged men buying guns. And now they're gone. Uh, widows are left. Grandmoms passed. And now you have these anti-gun kids that weren't raised in a firearms household because dad never took them out, you know, because they started getting rid of ranges in Jersey in the 90s. And now they just want this gone. And they've, they've, they've swallowed the uh, anti-gun BS hook, line, and sinker. And they don't even want to sell it for a profit. They don't want anyone to own the gun. They want it destroyed. And it's like, all right, that's, that's great. Nice, nice M1 carbine. You know, you just had destroyed or a Johnson rifle or, you know, a Winchester one of 1000. But you want to get rid of it. The book burner, like something I want value of the book. I just don't want anyone to read this book. Exactly. And they never see it that way. They never see that they're fanatic and they've bought into a lie. Because no one will point that comparison out to them. I mean, the cops won't. They don't care one way or the other. Uh, Well, some of them don't. Because we have some very vocal, very anti-gun detectives and judges and prosecutors in this area. Who have no problem saying ignorant anti-gun stuff that's not even true in any way. It's not even logical. I know because I've heard it. They've had the audacity to say it to me. I think I'm breaking up. Am I back again? Yeah, you're back again. I don't know if you were talking because I didn't hear anything. 
No, I've been kind of quiet because I'm watching my internet little signal-y thing drop and drop and drop, and it hasn't really been coming back. But I did want to hit a couple of the comments. Tony made a good one. It's You have to look hard to find a broken gun in Tennessee. And as I say that, broken guns, broken guns, broken guns. Yeah, it's not like you go tripping over broken guns all the time. Usually it's like somebody at a gun show who just has a bunch of broken ones for whatever reason, like they storage shed got rained on and all these guns got ruined and they bought them in a lot or something and they're selling them as whatever you can salvage out of them i've seen a couple of times like that uh sometimes a gun shop will just get you know like an old camp or something or like somebody's hunting cabin that everything got kind of messed up on but it's usually don't get like a lot of broken guns unless somebody's going out of business or something bad happens you know because house burns down or something and the safe gets cooked and then flooded you know, a inexpensive safe isn't going to have the seals on the doors. So when the fire department comes in, they start getting a paranoid. Oh, there's a gun safe. Let's blow a bunch of water on that gun safe because we're scared it's going to blow up or whatever. They don't know what's in there. And they got their right to be scared of it, concerned at least, you know, who knows what's in a gun safe, I guess. It's not always just guns, right? Sometimes it's ammo or something. So if they're blowing water all over that thing, people don't think about where they go to open up their safe and they open it. It's like, you know, water comes flooding out of it because it's turned into a thermos of water you know, like that kind of stuff can happen you don't plan for that and guess what all those guns are going somewhere and usually they're not just going in a dumpster like somebody's selling them to somebody for you know to, to do something with them also it can be guns someone disassembled and couldn't figure like figure out how to put back together like browning a5s and those clones uh people take them apart and just get totally twisted because you can put parts in backwards and now the gun won't work for also oh, yeah. uh the ruger mark the entire ruger mark series until four <laughs> until the latest one all of them were a pain in the butt to put together the, but a quick ruger, thing about the 1022 rugers 1022 also isn't necessarily the easiest thing to figure out until you got it down what, to get that bolt back in with the trigger of whatever that thing is? Yeah, yeah it's just uh, finicky yeah, until you kind of figure out the little dance you got to do with your fingers, and you, it's hard to mm -hmm. describe it to somebody. But once you got it figured out, okay. But, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it's not like a normal, like, let's just click this. You have to kind of fiddle with stuff. You have to kind of hold something. Oh, back and back. as far as safes are concerned, I think one of the funniest things is that we romanticize what's in safes. Like, no one, <laughs> no one goes, yeah, that safe's probably empty. You know what I mean? That lock safe over here is probably empty. So yeah, there's a fire. Oh, that's a gun safe. We got to hose it down because it might be full of uh, uh, ammo. You never know. And uh, if you count all the like abandoned buildings, because they always leave the safes in like abandoned buildings are too heavy to move, like the old ones for sure. You know the old heavy ones. But then all the flea markets where you buy or look at a closed little safe or lockbox. Every single one, you're like, oh, man, I can't wait to find that gold bar diamond that's in here. Open it up and it's yeah. <laughs> yeah, no one leaves gold bars and safes. Um, one of the funniest things, because, again, my regular job, locksmith, open safes, manipulate safes, drill safes, and also had the honor of being friends with Jeff Sitar, who was one of the best safe crackers in the world. And uh, my family actually has called Jeff out. He passed away. Uh, rest in peace there, Jeff. Awesome dude. He's one of those guys that can man manipulate a safe by feel. And, of course, <clears throat> one of the stories they had was um, a rock quarry that went out of business. And uh, rumor was that these people had gold in their abandoned safe. 
like there was still gold in there from some payroll. I don't know how how they came up with that, but um, some local ne'er do wells decided they were going to get an acetylene torch and cut it open, and they were going to sneak in. Well, there was a huge explosion. And uh, the police went to investigate and they found out who was there based on the car. And they ran, you know, the registration, found out who owned the car. And uh, these two guys decided to go and use the torch on the safe. Well, that's where they kept the dynamite for the rock quarry, for blasting. Who torched open a safe full of dynamite it was being locked in there so it wouldn't get hit by spark? Yeah. 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 That, that I thought worked. you were going to say something like it got full of gas and they blew up the thing with their own gas or something. Mm, mm, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's yeah, the thing. And, and I think that kind of stuff would happen in the mines out here. People would be like, digging around in a mine. Oh, look at this cool box. I'm going to smash mm-hmm. into this box. <laughs> the box is full of dynamite or nitroglycerin or whatever they were using. Mm-hmm. Because dynamite, especially if it's not stored correctly, leaks nitroglycerin. Like it bleeds out. Yeah, which essentially, if people don't know from cartoons or back in the day, it's you touch it and it goes off. Like it, it's sensitive to touch. So if it drops, if it falls, <clears throat> your stick of dynamite is essentially, I don't know if it's sawdust or something mixed with nitroglycerin, but all it is is the way for the nitroglycerin not to explode when you throw it around. And so as you can travel with it or whatever, and then you, uh, like you say, it leaks out of there just like wax dripping out of fabric or something like it's yeah, you know, it gets hot or whatever it's just going to come through and then yeah now you got crystalline's uh nitro <laughs> on the outside and yeah somebody comes along and kicks a rock somebody comes along and smacks it with a hammer along and log Anything. falls over a shovel falls over and then it starts exploding the stuff next to it which is sweated out yet but still nitroglycerin <laughs> and it all blows up and now the cave-in yes they didn't find enough to bury, supposedly. Um, <clears throat> also, one of the things that people don't get with safes is they, this is not the first radio for safes and locking mechanisms. Back in the day, to stop people from drilling safes, they would put uh, not CS gas, but CS powder. The pow- It used to be powder. I mean, they used to even use it in Vietnam. Um, what they do is just pack it onto the front of a claymore and set it off. And whoever didn't get hit by the blast was pretty much disabled by all this CS powder. And you'd put, you'd mask up as the ambusher and go in and drag out everybody who's choking on all the CS powder. So they used to have that actual in safes. And if you drill the wrong spot, it would blow back in your face when you pull the drill bit out. Oh, that's classic. That's super cool. And it doesn't cost nothing because there's going to be a dead airspace in there for heat, right? You're going to mm-hmm. do that anyway. Uh, plus, just to make it tougher to, to get into i'm sure right yeah happened to one of my guys he, he went out to drill the safe they told him all the drill points you know they didn't tell him it has a vial of cs in it <laughs> cleared out the garage cleared out his sinuses too did you get gassed oh when i was in yeah yeah i mean i i know that everybody older than us did i don't know if they still do that to people i'm guessing they do uh-huh. When you're young, you talk so. about it all the time, but when, when I guess you don't think about it after a while. But anyway, yeah, it's no fun. I'm pretty sure we got CS, though, is what I was going to get at. Yeah, right? yeah, that CS kind of is what they use. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they made us shave. They made us dry shave before doing it. 
Oh, really? I don't remember yeah. doing that. But yeah, we were also in basic, so not, nobody had any kind of face here. Oh, they didn't care. Marine Corps made us do it anyway. It was it was boot camp. <clears throat> I mean, just straight. Oh, you mean just to make sure that you were not like a day of shaving, so your skin was like okay. You want they wanted you to have raw skin essentially. Yeah, they wanted oh, us nice. to have raw skin. <laughs> they made us sit there and wet. Well, you could use the water from your canteen, but that was it. <laughs> and, and just drag this razor. You guys, like here, this is gonna definitely oh, yeah. stay. That was nice. definitely some bull crap they made up at a lower level. That is nothing. There's no way in the world that was policy somewhere. Uh, it's probably good for you, though. I, mean, I think you get it. It doesn't kill you. And it definitely, you can also say you're, you know, nobody else had to do that. So that's a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. I think it just was something to raise the pain level. Mm-hmm. No, I could totally see it. And then, plus, it's right on your face. Like, you're definitely getting it. And oh, you definitely get it. Everybody's got to shave anyway. Yeah, because everyone was, you know, because I've watched videos now, and that's so why I know thing. you still do. Air Force, here's how I've heard of it. And you know what a Kwanzaa mm. hut, like the, mm-hmm. like the Kwanzaa tube sticking out of the ground? They'll have one of them with just the cut part, no open. It's just open. It's essentially just a, a tube that you run in one side and out the other. There's no doors or windows or nothing, no walls. Just mm-hmm. open half a tube. And they would be stand i think they had to walk or maybe i don't think they ran but they had to walk from one end to the other and they would just light off a grenade in the middle somewhere so it was kind of annoying but they would just walk through this tube it's like walking underneath an underpass where somebody launched a, a cs grenade like of a mil- like i guess you'd taste it you know what i mean like you close your eyes and just walk through it and you'd be like hell that was that was unpleasant you know what i mean like it's not like you have to be in a room yeah. and, you know anyway so uh, everybody's got different levels of it, I guess. So it makes sense that they make you shave beforehand. Um, let's see. So let me get back to real questions. So we got 500. We do have one more from the thing. I'm going to leave it for a second. Uh, just like leaving the dollar in the tip jar, you know, when you're playing the piano at the bar or whatever, we're going to uh, leave that one in there just in case that attracts more questions over to the website. But 500 had asked a question uh, earlier. How come we don't see top break revolvers anymore? I know they wouldn't be able to handle the pressures of today's modern calibers, like the 357 or 44, but they could make them for the stuff like 22. As soon as you say that, I'm pretty sure, didn't they, somebody come out with one either this year or last year at shot? Or am I crazy? It's big. It wasn't little. It might have been like a, I don't remember what it was, but I, I don't pay enough attention, but I think someone did come out with one. But in general, I don't know, man. I think they're kind of neat because they, they blow, they kind of have that spring star thing where they blow out all your spent cases. I guess some people don't like that because if you only shoot three rounds, now it's shooting out six live rounds, right? You're not, you can't stop. I guess you can do things to stop it, but maybe people don't like that it ejects them all. But I thought that was one of the coolest things about those guns. What do you think? Top top eject was cool, but yeah, um, you couldn't hold up with the pressures of modern cartridges for the most part. So doing something like that for 22s, I think Ivor Johnson had some, if I remember right, and I think H&R. And then that's if I'm remembering right. I just remember seeing them in the old um, old gun books that we had growing up that, you know, we'd look at every page until the whole book fell apart, or at least that's what I did. And uh, I'm actually on Taylor's and Company right now, and you might want to check because um, th- those are who I know is important cowboy-like guns, and they they do different eras. Um, 
But yeah, it doesn't seem to be a thing because again, if you have centerfire cartridges, and most people that's what they want. They want the single action army looking thing with the loading gate. Or they want modern revolvers. Not many people are looking for something that ejects from top, throws all the cartridges on the ground. And I think that's what people are finding a problem with because there's no market for it. It would be, I mean, I think that uh, with the modern materials and designs and whatnot, you would think that it's not like it's getting more difficult to make uh, mm -hmm. a break top. When you're talking about having an old book that's falling apart, this is my old Bannerman catalog from back in the day that I would look at all the time. Like, yep, you know? <laughs> yep. <laughs> I mean, it was made out of like this is essentially newspaper paper anyway. It was never like a high quality book, but yeah, I had to buy a new one just because I want one that's not because I don't know if I'm missing pages. You know, I don't use it all that often, but it, you know, pages are probably missing from it. Yeah, dude, I grew it's up not... looking at stuff like that until it fell apart, but um. See, the problem with, I think, modern is the thought process, the community, I guess, brain that says those aren't strong, those types of guns aren't strong enough to hold up to modern cartridges. It is. And that's the thing. And who all, you know, for 22 shooters, most of them, I guess, just based on what they make, want cowboy looking guns. And they don't consider a break top a cowboy gun, even though it kind of is, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely is. But when you when you talk about a niche market and what everybody expects a cowboy gun to be, it's single action armies all day. You know what I mean? But it is a fad thing and a taste thing. A movie could come out. You know, John Wick could get a top break, and now oh mm -hmm. God, a John Wick top break, and then somebody will jump on it. Taurus will make a top break judge. Oh man! Yeah, judge. What would you call the top break judge? Uh, well, they got circuit judge. They got uh, district attorney. They got yeah. freaking <laughs> uh, attorney. <laughs> yeah, call it a judge Judy and keep it moving. <clears throat> you just never know, dude, what'll work. But you're 100% right because a movie. A movie will get a gun to take off. A movie will get uh, a firearm costs way more than it has to and actually create a market because that's what happened with the 44 Magnum. I mean, other companies made money off of that. Ruger was selling, what, Blackhawks in 44 Magnum? All of a sudden, <laughs> they weren't selling before, really. And now people lined up to buy the Ruger Blackhawk because it was cheaper than purchasing a uh, Smith & Wesson Model 29 after the Dirty Harry movies came out and oh, people right, still yeah. wanted the 44. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm sure <laughs> even at every shop, like the, whatever their largest inexpensive revolver, you know, by somebody who didn't want to, you know, Oh, I'm at the Dirty Harry one. Oh, it costs that much. Okay. What's the next biggest, what's the biggest thing you got for cheap? Probably, you know, emptied the shelves of anything that was similar. So Mike White is saying, I went to, I have no idea how to say this. Rahagis, R-A-A-H-A-G-G-I-E. I don't know how to say that. Somebody's outdoor shooting range uh, for my training session and had a great time learning and shot way better than I thought I would. Right on. When you guys shoot at the diversity shoot, from what I understand, 
and correct me if I'm wrong, that the, you invite anybody who wants to shoot and you get a mix of people who have been before, but mostly people that are coming for the first time or maybe somebody that's been before, but bring somebody for the first time as a friend yeah. or whatever, or maybe mm -hmm. a group of ladies will come when their friend had been there before or something. And then essentially it's free pizza and hanging out and that kind of thing after, but you start out with like, here's a, a gun orientation familiarization kind of Q and A and, you know, in like a training room classroom at a range an indoor range usually, but then if people want, and most people do, but you know, if people and when people are comfortable, you take them into the range and then you give them a, a, a familiarization, like pulling triggers. And it's more of like, here's what a pistol's like. Here's what an AR is like. Is there any other guns you want to try? Here's the little buffet we got. So my question is, if that's right, is there an element of like trying to hit the bullseye or is it just like, Oh, you're getting ringing steel, you know, so that you don't make them worried about too much at once. And then to follow up, to ghost you a little bit, uh, if there's an element there, like how many of them care about marksmanship or is that like a thing that they care about as a new shooter yet? We don't, we don't really um, push that. People push themselves. People challenge themselves. So let's say a lady who goes in for the first time and she's in her early 30s, never shot a gun before. She's more nervous, excited uh, about actually shooting a gun. But we keep the target close enough that she hits it. But it's not like she has a target that she takes from court to court. She can just shoot the target that we have there. And when it gets shot full of holes, we'll replace it. <clears throat> and then some people do want to have their own target. There are very few of those, though, because it's like we're not this is not that kind of thing. I'm trying to get you to hit it. Pick a spot and see if you can hit that spot. If you want a target, we'll do that too. But that's not how we set it up. But that's fine. As long as you're excited about it and it, it allows you to take home a souvenir and actually talk about the experience, we'll do whatever. Um, and as far as being able to hit the target, yep. They're really excited about that. We keep the targets between five to 10 yards. Um, just to have a novice actually have a level of success. And if you are more experienced and you want to run it out, we'll run the target out too, because we want you to have a good time too. <clears throat> so yeah, we'll do it all. Um, just trying to make you have a great experience. We're, we're willing to cater to you if it's not taking a lot of time. You know, if we have, cause we try to give you 15, 20 minutes pulling triggers and we try to rotate it out especially with the number of instructors we have. Sometimes we have five, sometimes we have 10. And if we have 30 people and we have two hours to run them through, with 10, 10 instructors, we can pretty much give everybody 15 to 20 minutes and maybe even longer. But we want to get the first group through, second group through, and then anybody that wants to go back, we allow that too. But we want everyone to get a turn first and have some fun, uh, break that uh, initial nervousness and um, also have them speak to each other. So we run a relay so people are actually in the classroom conversing outside of their own group um, because we don't want you just to come in your clique, stay in your clique and leave not meeting anyone outside your clique. We want you actually talking to other firearms owners that you or, or other people from different backgrounds, different areas with different perspectives. So it's also a social thing. But yeah, if you want to- Super interesting, dude. I'm going to interrupt you because that's one of the things that um, I don't bring up enough whenever I'm talking about force on force classes 
Mm -hmm. uh, but Jaeger would come out here and do a lot of training in, in Tucson. He knew people out here and, you know, there's cool ranges and stuff and uh, a lot of people train out here. So uh, for years, he would come out and do the force on force. And as an alumni, you could go uh, or you can go and uh, be a scenario player because force on force is little scenarios that will come out or that you play out throughout the day. So let's say there's 12 students at the class and 30 people show up so that there's there's maybe I don't know what the numbers are, but, you know, some number of people show up who are alumni who've taken the class before you show up and be actors in role playing scenarios for these students, right? And the students are there to, to do the job of experiencing shoot or no shoot scenarios and all that. So, um, uh, the, the class itself, I'm sorry, I'm getting spun off on like the class itself is such a good class, but one of the elements of it that I found ultimately interesting compared to other shooting classes and just other classes in general really is that by nature you've got let's say a bunch of people show up you've got the instructor and the assistant instructors and then you've got the students and then you've got these role players and everybody talks and everything let's let's talk about the next scenario so all the students are going to hang out the role players are going to go down and get up to date on what they're going to be doing in the scenario then the instructors are going to watch the different students go through the scenarios so 70 percent of the people are down there doing their thing this the role players are doing the scenarios over and over and over and over with different students so as a role player you're getting a level of education and experience that is just amazing because you get to see everybody's mistakes and successes right and you get to see all the different permeations of the scenario play out. It's awesome to be in a role player in these in these classes. But as a student, you can only go through the thing one at a time. And I don't really think they cared, but not to, it wasn't really encouraged for you to go watch other people because there's a lot of gaming and, you know, it's not there to you're not there to win. You're there to see how you're going to react and test yourself. Right. So there's really no advantage for students to watch each other. Plus, it's dangerous. Right. So there's no real safe way unless you had a crazy kind of shoot house where there could be like spectators above or something, right? There's no safe way to not get in the way of a scenario and not to influence the scenario by just standing there. So for the most part, students are encouraged to go away and they go up and hang out with each other. And that's where I'm getting at that you just mentioned. There's an element to the diversity shoot there while you're shooting and while the instructors are all gone, essentially doing their thing, instructing and showing people their thing. And these people are out there experiencing what you've got in the background is certain students get pulled up first, right? They either volunteer or randomly get pulled first. So they're experiencing, everybody else is anticipating. Then those first group of students after 15 minutes come back and the next group goes and that group is about to experience and that first group of experience come back and start to say, this is what happened. It was so awesome, like blah, blah, blah. Now that anticipation starts to change. And then that second group cycles back and now there's the people left over who are getting even more insight to what's about to happen. And those second people are talking to those first people. Right. And it, and it is a very interesting. It's like when you stir creamer into coffee like that, that dynamic, wham, it, it starts to change from two different things into one new thing. Right. And that element, I don't know if you've ever talked about it. I've certainly never thought about that being there with the diversity shoot, but that was powerful in the force on force stuff because you'd be there for, I don't know, like two hours, let's say the, the class was eight hours, you know, maybe four, four scenarios. So you're sitting there for two hours 
while everybody's running through scenarios. So they, they structured it so that that powerful time was available for all the instruct for all the students and it didn't go to waste like there was there was a lot of conversation if you think these conversations that we have online uh get deep uh, when you're at a class and everybody's got a gun on and you're all there with like you know adult mindset there's some awesome conversations and that was amazing so it's got to be really interesting at the diversity shoots as well it's really good because <clears throat> we do the, <laughs> I love when my friends go, Tony, you're telling everybody how to run a diversity shoot. I mean, aren't you afraid somebody's going to do it? No. <laughs> no. And if, if you want to do it, do it. Just don't call it a diversity shoot. Um, but it's, it's getting people together and breaking that up because you've been to enough classes, you know, first thing in the morning, no one's speaking, right? No one's speaking to each other for the most part. And it takes that first training and iteration, maybe even a second one, or maybe even a lunch break <clears throat> for people actually to start talking and circulating among themselves. And we try to get rid of that immediately. So that's why we have, you know, me telling jokes, us doing the prize drawing and getting everybody involved to try to get everyone excited, asking questions, trying to, break that open and um it really does help it really does help breaking the groups up because now um oh i'd like to go in with my friends well we don't have enough room for everybody but our guys are there so they're good or if if these people are new and they're uncomfortable being split apart all right bring them in together and then bring them back to the classroom together but they'll be in the classroom with other people and then I'll go, hey, who wants to go back in? Well, all of them don't want to go back in. So they'll have conversations. So it's about instigating conversations and allowing people to talk to each other, um, actually encouraging people to talk to each other. And you don't really need much encouragement after a while, the, unless the person, like I've noticed like young teens that go there with a parent or a guardian or something like that, sometimes they have, you know, issues talking to, you know, a 30 something year old stranger who's sitting in the next chair but usually we try to get them involved i'll actually head over and actually have a conversation with them in front of their parents um to try to get them out of the shell and some don't want to talk so you leave them alone <laughs> you just want it to be a positive experience not an uncomfortable one That's so interesting because as you're saying that i'm like what's well, another layer that i never even thought about but there is that thing where if you're not getting on a bus and going places you're getting on an uber and going a place right and you're not having to interact and wait in line and it's just a different world when the internet didn't facilitate everything you had to go to places and wait in line and like waste a day people read books because you'd be waiting all day in line somewhere just to get a form duplicator uh -huh. or a stupid thing we had to do back in the day so uh you know when you remove all that you remove all that interaction with other people you know where do kids learn how to deal with adults you know like yeah. walk around with their parents and then having to go do stuff it's very rare that kids are told to go do stuff anymore. Like back in the day, you'd be little and your parents would give you five bucks and like go to the <laughs> store and buy me cigarettes or something. And you'd be yep. little and you'd be going all the way to the store and then buying cigarettes. And then, you know, I mean, I guess somebody could knock you over and take your cigarettes or whatever. But, you know, I mean, aside from that, like you're dealing with the person at the store, making sure you're buying the right cigarettes. Like I'm pretty sure they smoke the red ones or the blue. You know what I mean? Like it was you had to be able to get stuff across to an adult who would probably not hear you. You know what I mean? You had to yell or whatever. So I'm just saying like, if you remove that, you don't make kids do that kind of stuff. Then 
these are opportunities, these are challenges that they may not have overcome a million other times. It's like some of us with different experiences growing up. Yeah, it's interesting because you're like, is this person shy? Do they not talk to people? Or they just Maybe. haven't done it a million times like we did by the time we were their age. <laughs> that's some funny, that's some funny 80s baby stuff. Yeah, go to the I mean, store. How, the same with, and like, uh, you know, like they would always talk about the, we'd be sitting by the TV and have to be the remote controls. So that means mm-hmm. we got used to like people we didn't even know at the house, like visitors, families, you know, having a work people over or something like you know there'd be people there and you know the structure was like you kids standing there change the channel Mm -hmm. you know so we just got used to interacting with other people and then it would be like you pull up in front of some store we need celery run in here and go get celery like you know what i mean like you you do it like nobody does that with their kids anymore i bet nowadays Mm -mm. no they probably consider you trying to get get rid of your kid we're trying to get them kidnapped you know, what's what are you listening in your car smoking? Because that's usually what they do. It's like just sit there smoking a cigarette and blabbing or whatever. Like you run in and get whatever we need because I don't want to go into this store. Like, all right. No, I didn't care. Like, yo, let's go do it. Or like, you know, if there'd be like four kids, like here's $10. You go in there and make sure that you come out with these three things we need. And then the moms would just sit there BSing in the van or whatever, BSing in the car. Um, and I just don't think they do that anymore. And of course, then we're in there, you know, if we knocked over a thing of ketchup, we had to figure it out because we weren't going to go outside and tell our moms we knocked over a thing of ketchup. We were figuring out how to deal with the store people like, okay, if we come back tomorrow and do this, can we, you know, pay for that ketchup or something? Not for personal experience. I'm just randomly picking a thing of ketchup right there in the store. Um, next one is 500 Magnum. I don't have any, and I think we hit that one, uh, but, uh, 500 Magnum. I don't know if we have any experience. I don't know. I don't have any experience with suppressors. How do you think it would work with the 380 ACP? Is it, it's very low pressured and low velocity. It's one of my favorite rounds to suppress in a Mac 11. It's the coolest gun, maybe the cool, one of the coolest guns on the planet to have. Um, yeah, it's like a 45, except even better. It's what we don't, that's why we don't need nine millimeter because we have 380. It's an amazing caliber. Um, what else gets suppressed in 380? Probably a bunch of pistols. Is there like uh what's the James Bond, the PPK equivalent in 380? That would be cool suppressed, single action. Yeah, for but probably in general, not too much. This is a pretty uncommon caliber. Yeah, it's a European thing for the most part when you talk about that. And that may be <clears throat> why they might be uh suppressed more because that's not some kind of federally controlled thing. Many countries sell it across the counter, but then you get into the part where it's a handgun and that's also not a big thing in Europe, you know, for something like that. (laughs) Worthwhile worthwhile saying that dad worked for Zenith. They got to be the testers for the first remote control. I don't remember that one and that would have been, but. Remember the first ones were goofy. Like some of them were like beams of light, so you could like couldn't you know if you pointed it at the Kleenex box, it wasn't hitting the TV. And then some of them made noises. Oh, I have uh, I actually had a uh, Zenith Space Command <clears throat> remote. Uh, my my television was a Zenith Space Command, and it had the uh, up down. Didn't even have numbers. Yeah, right. It was just a big long button, and it would be the one and the other and on off, right? And you'd have to if you want yep. if you were on channel like 
one and you wanted to get to, or wait, if you were on channel two and you wanted to get to channel one, you would have to go two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, one, or whatever, right? <laughs> and yep. you didn't have all those channels. It was two or three channels if you were lucky. If you lived next to a big town or something, you'd get more channels. But at the most, you could get was probably four channels. So you'd have eleven on a TV. So two of them would work or something, right? Well, the funny part was this was in nineteen ninety. To uh, I actually had this when I got to my barracks in Japan. Uh, it was empty. Uh, I had a roommate, but he was already deployed. So his television was in the room, his clothing were in the room, but the room was locked. So I come in as a second, you know, bed in the room and I got a TV. It's already hooked up. He had the adapter to it. No, I don't even know if we had it. However, heck we watch TV on base. And then when he left and again, the TV had to weigh like 120 pounds. It was huge. It was a piece of furniture. But it was the Zenith, and it had that remote that took a, uh, what do you call it, 9-volt battery. Uh, it was the size of a piece of wood, like a wood block. And uh, he was like, you can have it, dude. I'm not taking this thing back to the States. Well, when I left, I took it back to the States. I had that thing almost all the way up until the year 2000. When I put it on the curb. Is it still working? Yeah, we're still working. It just got too big. I just got tired of taking it from place to place whenever I moved. It's huge. <laughs> I had a giant, I had one giant TV that was like a real TV with a tube or whatever, but I only had little ones for the most part. I never had a giant one to get rid of, but um, I definitely remember people that, you know, had some pretty large things. TVs got really big for a while. Uh, now, the next question is 500 Magnum again, asking any experience with Hornady black ammunition, 185 grain, hollow point in 45. So I have no idea. I looked up Hornady. What is Hornady black ammunition? I'm, is there? Oh, no, duh, here it is. You have any idea? you dealt with Hornady brands at all? I've never dealt with Hornady. My 185, 45 ACP was Golden Saber. And that was like the standard uh, for FBI. I think FBI used it. Uh, that's why I selected it. So it says, uh, this, I'm just, I, I guess I could go look at the Hornady website maybe is the weird place to look. But I'm looking at a store and it says it's... Um, Precise serrations for controlled expansion. XTP bullet. Uh, but otherwise, I don't see anything that makes it a, you know, what, what differentiates it from other, even other Hornady stuff. The, the box itself is a American flag that's all blacked out. And it's got a Gadsden thing on it. The snake. <laughs> is it a marketing thing or if it's because uh, the bullet isn't the bullet looks just like any other bullet where's the Hornady website we have some of that screen share and I'm looking for the Hornady website maybe they'll give us more yeah I mean <clears throat> I don't know if Hornady actually <clears throat> Here we go. because I got that I, I picked that particular uh, ammo because, again, uh, the police had already selected it. You know what I mean? FBI already selected it because I wanted a good self-defense round, but 
how do I, as you know, regular dude, know what's good and what sucks? There's so let's talk about. I think uh, in ammo, you've got marketing, which is a chunk, and it gets annoying and confusing because of that. But then you get uh, performance based on different things. So it's like you know comparing apples to oranges, and then you get what you're actually looking for the ammo to do. And um, just to make that make more sense, uh, I always use the analogy of the army is always pointing down because we don't want to hit helicopter engines and Navy's always pointing their guns up because they don't want to shoot holes in boats. Neither one is wrong. They're just used differently. Same guns, same, you know, concepts. It's just that, you know, our things that we care about are in different places. So we run differently. So it's the same kind of thing with guns. Um, I'm screen sharing here. I found Hornady's website. They've got the list of all their ammo. And when you get down to Hornady Black 45 ACP, it compares it to some of the others, and it says it's, uh, on this chart at least, it's for varmint, it's for target, and for personal defense. So it's a multi-use, I guess you could say. Uh, I'm going to assume, so I'm going to click on it, and you can see the branding of it. It is like the American flag all blacked out with a Gadsden thing on it. And it says uh, features versatile loads optimized for op excellent performance from America's favorite guns loaded with their legendary bullets. Hornady Black is designed to fit and feed and function in a variety of platforms. So that couldn't be more vague and generic. Like, oh, our ammo works. You know, I don't know what makes the black special. I'm going to click on features. And they show an AR. So Anyway, so I don't know. It's uh, maybe it's designed to just be a, a multi-purpose instead of just being like a wicked hollow point or a ultra inexpensive mix or some kind of ultra precise. You know, it's trying to be a mix of all of that. But they didn't. I don't know. Either I'm missing the marketing, or they're not really giving me much help on it. What he doesn't give you much help on most stuff. Um, I think that's mostly marketing because if they did, I remember when the Level Revolution came out, dude, the write-up, video, like they had everything on their, you know, page. And this was back in the day when it was much slower internet. <laughs> so, yeah, I think some of this may be just marketing. And I think, uh, you know, we've got the 30 Super, right? Yeah, is that what it's called? The 30 Super carry? Yeah, 30 super carry. And there's got to be a certain amount of generational, like, again, like, our ammo is this one. You know, like, oh, that's the brand that's new. I'm using it. You know, Grandpa used that other stuff. I need something different. So I think there's, I guess, that aspect of it, that they're going to need to come out with something new. Otherwise, uh, I don't know if otherwise is. I think they come out with something new just to fulfill that thirst or something um we're an hour and a half ish into it so i think we're going to uh hit this last one and nobody else is really saying anything we did get one extra question here from g23 so if you got questions out there for tony or i uh and we can speak for clover so we can tell you whatever clover would have said if you want 
Um, this last one, though, is the panel's opinion of the many magazine-fed shotguns. So what's your opinion of the very various magazine-fed shotguns? Buy beware. Um, you're going to have to look at each one individually uh, from the manufacturers. Like you said, magazine-fed, but you didn't say semi-auto. So what do you call it? Made a, a Mossberg. A pump, yeah. Had the pump action magazine feds. Uh, so did Remington. Um, so did uh, the Black Aces Tactical. And you find out that there's different build qualities with each of those manufacturers. Um, Black Aces Tactical no longer has those things available. Uh, you can figure that out from yourself, uh, what that means. Uh, Remington, we know they had issues with build quality before they went out of business. Uh, whether that was on purpose or not is up to for debate. And then Mossberg, I mean, I know they had it, but I don't see them featuring it when I saw them at shows, mainly because a magazine full of shotgun shells is heavy. It's unbalanced. And what do you carry it in? Because most mag holders or mag carriers are built for AR-15, rare AKs, uh, AR-10 mags. Like, shotgun is bigger than all those. So the, in a magazine, yeah. And the magazines yeah, yeah. are either, if they're either metal and super even heavier or they're plastic, so they got to be thicker and bulkier and bigger or like, like ridges or ribs or something to make them structurally strong enough to hold, be rigid enough to work as a magazine. And then with a tube fed shotgun, I mean, uh, the tubes are thick enough. We've had the technology long enough that pretty much you have to bang your tube fed really hard to bend the tube. And then at least you see what the problem is. You drop your polymer or plastic a uh, heavy uh, shotgun magazine and break one of the feed lips off. Well, now that's useless. Uh, unless you're going to single feed every round into it. Pretty much that's the issue with magazine fed shotguns, in my opinion. And then when you get to different manufacturers, a lot of them are made in Turkey. Uh, and you have quality control issues because I know what you call it, Rock Island. They have some, but I think those are all built in Turkey. <clears throat> it's just a technology that there's other ways around it that are less troublesome. Yeah, you and can't again, hunt with more than a couple of rounds, so there's like no hunting application. So none of the hunters are going to be behind them or be buying them. So they're bought by cosplay, bought by potential. I'm going to use this for something. I guess maybe some sports, but most sports they're using tubes, just big long tubes under, you know, bumper <laughs> under an auto. Well, to get the dependability and to get it to run, because everybody who runs self-defense is one thing because you have a, you know, buckshot, you use it for self-defense. So you got heavier, high brass, as they call it, uh, as it's called. And, and that, especially recoil operated shotgun, um, that gives you enough energy to eject the shell, pick the next one up. But when you're running games, when you're doing three gun, you're not using buckshot unless it's for, you're probably using a slug, but only on certain stages, you're using birdshot. And that's not going to feed in some of these magazine fed shotguns. Again, they figured it out with the other stuff. And still, they only have a couple of uh, semi-automatic tube fits that are actually used in competition. Only a couple of manufacturers, really, that are used by most people. I know uh, Mossberg is trying to jack theirs up because they work with Jerry Mitchell and he's one of their competitors. 
I had no idea who Savage works with. And then there's Benelli and Beretta. I might have missed something, but I can't remember it off the top of my head. It's just there's not a lot there with magazine-fed shotguns. You got to take the good with the bad. You're going to do home defense. Not many reloads going down with a shotgun, whether it's tube-fed or not. When you shoot one of those in the house, it turns everything into an Olympic sprint. <laughs> no one's sticking around, so you probably won't have to go for a reload. So your tube-fed work. Um, also, it's heavy, again, and it's unbalanced. With a shotgun, you're going to fight with whatever ammo you have on the gun. So what advantage do you have with a 10-shot magazine-fed shotgun, except for a really long mag at the bottom of it? And no real track record as a self-defense or military firearm. Well, and that's where I'll tag in and go. The lever shotguns have been around since Browning invented them a million years ago. The uh, magazine-fed, like, they existed a million years ago, I'm sure. Like, if Browning was thinking about it, I'm sure he figured out a way to put something on something, especially World War One. So if they were a thing, they'd be a thing. So I think the fact that they've never caught on and they're constantly there is an indication that they're just like everything you just said, I'm not going to go through it all, but that's been my opinion for a long time. They look good on paper and they look cool. A lot of times they can look pretty cool. When you look at them, they're like, Oh yeah, that looks neat. But then, Oh wait, it holds five rounds. What? Like, wow, that's a lot of stuff to hold five rounds. And then how big is that? Like you just said, there's nothing you can do with those magazines half the time. They're almost always super fragile. So yeah, I'm just not, uh, there's not enough bang for your buck to use the, the pun. And, and I'm never going to be a fan of shotguns, maybe on a ranch, maybe, but even then there's just compared to an AR, I think an AR is just a much more better, or a much better option for just about everything than a shotgun. Now, see, I like the shotgun. I enjoy shooting shotguns. Um, I enjoy the power that you have with a shotgun. You know what I mean? Um, it's just, this thing can take any, land mammal on the North American continent if necessary. Um, I can teach you to use this thing quickly and you can use from everything again from home defense uh, to hunting to you know deep woods defense against big animals. That's the thing I like about a shotgun is that kind of versatility. Also living in a state that's anti-gun your home defense firearm is a shotgun especially, a, you know, traditional pump action or something with wood furniture, even if it's a semi-auto, it kind of takes the winds out of their sails, the prosecutor or the people that are trying to paint you as a bad guy because you have the audacity to defend yourself with a firearm. It takes the wind out of their sails because it's just a shotgun. My granddad had a shotgun. Like, we're not so far removed, you know. <clears throat> even especially when it's just a double barrel. Like you said, double barrel super adequate for a lot of things. Not perfect for everything, but obviously. Not perfect at all, but. But for yeah. that scenario, even a shock, a pump shotgun isn't going to bother too many people. But a, a double barrel, effectively, you look like the old meme of an old guy or something. You know what I mean? Like you're you're almost non-threatening. You're almost everybody understands that you're such a slow shot with that. I mean, a musket would be the only other thing you could come out that would be, you know, less th threatening. Even not threatening, but you know what I mean, like less intimidating to the anti-gun person. Yeah, you'd look like a real jack jerk off uh, trying to 
you know, convict Jed Clampett and try to act as if he was a tactical Timmy with his devil barrel. No, Meanwhile, let's not be. We're, we're saying in today's environment, in 2023, once they get rid of the assault weapons, everything's scary looking with a detachable magazine, get rid of semi-autos. Then they can go after bolt rifles because those are sniper rifles, which have way more power. You see how big a bolt action gun is compared to that little 5.56? And we all know that 5.56s were banned because of their firepower and the lethality. So these big bullets have no business on the streets. They're weapons of war. Uh, nobody's getting attacked by an elk or a grizzly bear in 2023. So you get rid of bolt actions. And then shotguns, are you kidding me? Nine 38 calibers? There's no reason. Nobody needs nine caliber, 38 calibers. And look at how big a slug is. It's literally bigger than a rifle can be. It's literally illegal to own that in a rifle. And they're allowing it to be the shotgun loophole. It's that far. Three steps okay. away from your gun is also too big to be on the streets. Oh, yeah. A slug could go through your whole house. And then as soon as they got rid of semi-autos, bolts, and shotguns, they'll go, there's no need for you to have a handgun anymore. It's ridiculous. You can hide a handgun anywhere. You can silence a handgun with a pillow. Handguns can have way more than 10 rounds in them. They're marketed to the military. So it's really oh, yeah. easy. There's not even a slippery slope. It's already been executed in all of these variations over the years. It's just that they haven't done them sequentially in that order in anywhere that I can think of off the top of my head. But they've definitely used all those things before. Well, I um, actually, what you call it? Uh, Australia. They call lever axes assault rifles now. Because uh, they weren't approving, I forgot who came out with one, a uh, 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 lever action shotgun, was it a few years ago? And, and the news were all a tizzy. And I'm telling you, it was a lever action 12 gauge shotgun. And that was considered an assault rifle in Australia. And the news media was making a big deal. Of the same words you use for an AR-15, they were using for that. Mm-hmm. Especially when they change the words to fit an AR-15, which are ridiculous, because the AR-15 is effectively a 223 with a rifle charge behind it. So, you know, it can only do what it can do. But when they say it can be meteoric and life-changing, and then they can show an AR-15 bullet, which will look anemic compared to anything coming out of a rifle, you know, then they can go, look at the power of these. We already all know what the power of those AR-15s are now. Look at these. And then, anyway, so we're, I'm repeating myself, but the uh, magazine-fed shotguns, I just don't think there's enough bang for the buck. I'm just not a fan. I, I mean, for shotguns for hunting, yeah, that's where they got it over everything. Shooting a little bird flying around, nothing else except for a net, maybe, or a blowgun, if you're, like, really good. Maybe a sling, actually. Actually, people with a sling, I bet you can get really good at pegging a bird with a rock. Because it's not that hard. They're pretty big. And all you got to do is peg a bird, and it'll fall out of the sky, and I go over there and get it. But uh, aside from moving on targets, uh, shotguns, is, you know, I'm okay with them. You should be able to master it. It's not that thing, but they're just not my go-to for the reason that you can only carry around a few rounds and you don't get to know that that bad guy isn't the scout for a group of bad guys or who knows what, you know, like, or he's wearing who knows what, like, or he's on some kind of something, like, who knows what. So uh, go more than you need prepared is my philosophy. But anyway, so the poll out there, magazine-fed shotguns, are you a fan? Got a couple of votes so far. One vote for yes, 75% for no. So that tells you there's three <laughs> votes for no. 
So uh, if you're going to vote, go vote on that. And you may or may not win a shotgun. You probably will not, but you know, you never know. Somebody, somebody shotgun rich out there might uh, throw a shotgun around. It's up to you. Find out. Well, um, I know in the mailers, they send out the email mailers for this week. Um, I think one was in it on PSA's website for sub $300. So, I mean, if you want to test the orders out, I mean, truthfully, that's less expensive than pretty much a Mossberg 590. I mean, that's in Mossberg 500 territory. So I lost my mouse on my monitors here. Yeah, I think bang for the buck money-wise, you probably get the most bang for your buck out of a shotgun than any other gun. Like what you can do with $100 worth of shotgun versus $100 worth any other gun. Like a $100 pistol is going to be kind of lame. You're going to be able to do certain things with it. Mm -hmm. $100 revolver, same thing. $100 rifle, yeah, same thing, right? $100 shotgun, pretty much do anything you want with $100 shotgun. Uh, my hundred dollar shotgun uh, was a four shot plus one in the chamber uh, Turkish made shotgun that I've run a class with for almost ten years now. Uh, I had a Winchester, but it was a hunting shotgun, <clears throat> and uh, I wanted a shorter barrel because I wanted to use it for home defense. And well, it's a Winchester. <laughs> they didn't make them anymore, and anywhere I found them, it was over two hundred dollars just for the barrel. And Palmetto State Armory had these for $99. They were getting rid of them because I guess the company put out new models. So they were just doing a dump. 99 bucks. I picked it up and I figured, hey, if it sucks and it broke, um, it was 99 bucks. I spent $100 on stuff before and thrown it away. So this shouldn't be too bad. Yeah. Um, great gun. Great gun. Wish, wish I would have purchased two. <laughs> That would be an interesting question out there. What gun do you wish you would have bought two of at the time? So anybody can answer that one. I'm trying to think. I mean, any SKS, any Mosin, definitely. I bought Mosin. I'm going to just say like this. I've bought Mosins for less than 50 bucks before, and I probably should have bought more of them. I bought them and just gave them away to people because they cost me less than 50 bucks. They weren't great but they were actually super awesome. Here's the story of my, uh, so give everybody a story while they're thinking about the gun they should have bought more than one of. Um, this guy called, uh, um, I'll just call him Art. Uh, or Anyway, this guy was an importer here in Tucson and he's passed away now, but uh, for years he was uh, a staple at the gun shows out here and he would bring in all kinds of interesting stuff. And he, back in the day, would go to places and and buy stuff from international sellers, I guess, and then have the stuff imported into the United States. So he was an importer. And uh, anyway, his stuff was awesome. And the Mosins that he had were the, the, the result of U.S. Army bounties. So the U.S. Army would put, during Vietnam War, would have bounties on things like AK-47s and Mosin Nagants and other guns. And the I guess South Vietnamese or whoever would go grab these guns from wherever, find them in the jungle, bring them to the U.S. Army, and they would get like five bucks bounty on it, right? So a whole bunch of these guns that he had over there were from Vietnam bounties, and they would have these little links. And it was the link from, I forget what he told me, like some belt or something, like a Vietnamese belt. 
it would have this link on the in the trigger guard, like a link hanging off, right? And what that was is they would tie these Mosins up to a tree, point it at the trail, run a tie line, you know, a snag over to the trail, and then have it connected to that link, which was on the trigger. So when you tripped over it, it shot you. And the South Vietnamese would go grab these guns out of trees and get five bucks for them. And I was buying those for less than 50 bucks. He had, I can, I can show you pictures that make you piss yourself. He had That's a lot awesome. of those guns. Yeah, right. And I would just give those guns to people. They were the kind of guns that the Vietnamese didn't want anymore. So they'd tie them to a tree with one shot. They weren't great guns. And they'd been in the trees for a while. But dude, that's the guns we had. I wish I would have bought more than those for sure. Yeah, it's funny <clears throat> because you're talking about Mosins. I would have bought more than one. I did. And the cool thing about mine was I did it before there was a run on them before Enemy on the Gates came out. So I purchased my first one from Walmart for 99 bucks. It's a Finnish friggin' Mosin. <laughs> it's a Finnish Mosin, and if you don't know, there were the better built Mosins. It had a, not a free float front end, but they put a cork in there, so it was kind of free float comparatively. It wasn't wood on metal in the barrel so they would go grab guns from the dead russians pick the good mm -hmm. and the best ones and then spruce them up and make them better right oh take parts build them you know take them back because they changed out um the sling attachments like you can tell the difference between a russian sling attachment and a finnish sling attachment and that's what they did and when i took it apart finally i discovered that my particular my first mosin was first built in 1899 at the tuler factory <laughs> i was like yo because the one thing i love about surplus is they have stories and i'm like this thing was built in 1899 this left a factory in russia and now i own it how did that happen so uh, well that's why you know how that well so okay that gun it's way tougher but when i look at the ak's and stuff when we got mm -hmm. them and we're we're buying a gun off the wall at the gun shop taking it out to the forest or whatever the desert and shooting it at the hill or shooting it at a berm or whatever mm -hmm. um recreationally right as a thing to do uh that's because of a bunch of people talked the whole cold war out essentially except for a couple of skirmishes obviously there was some things but for the most part, you know, what would have been, well, what was the largest buildup of small arms and nuclear arms to wail on each other, the whole, the whole world dividing up, you know, onto two sides, that got essentially talked down or, you know, I'm, I'm summarizing a lot of stuff, but that's where that, that surplus, all that stuff that once the tension was over and it was established that we weren't going to use that at each other, boom, those dams got burst and Everything that we're shooting recreationally didn't go to some African, usually Africa, but sometimes Asia or places where they're still fighting, maybe South America a little bit, right? But, you know, most of that stuff, they just shoved it over to Africa and here, go, you know, here's, here's your stuff. So everything we're shooting at least is a little bit less for that traffic, but essentially it's all that stuff they built up. The stuff you're talking about was the same picked up for World War One, right? And 
the thing is that gun could have seen action in World War One and World War Two and Korea and Vietnam, and then it got this and that, and then you got it. You know what I mean? Like, how would you know? Uh, you, you know it was in Finland, all right? So <clears throat> their buyer could have fought the Russians and the Nazis because of the year it was done. I think no. it was 42. I'm like, bro, <laughs> like this thing. And who knows where it stopped between there and then. It could have done a tour in Africa. It could have done a You know what I mean? Who knows? Now, I think if because it was finished, <clears throat> it might have stayed in their army. I mean, you know, locked up longer in their uh, um, armories and then just got sold as bulk. But this was the early 90s. So who knows what adventures this particular. Oh, that's just an old bolt action. Yeah, yeah, it is an old bolt action, but it's an old bolt action with a story that's pretty much only limited by your imagination. And there, there's been collectors clubs for things and people that are aware of things, you know, people that see a book and understand all of a sudden, oh, I know what these are at the gun show now when I see them and I can, you know, like there, there's been that kind of stuff always, like way before the internet and the gun shows were part of the way people got stuff around or, but then, you know, just big gun show uh, shops, people would, you know, know, okay, I got this World War II gun. I'm taking it to this shop. They know about them, that kind of thing. So we've had that in the past, but it's definitely blossomed or gone into exponential. But definitely. So only one person has answered. So Mike's saying, I wish I would have bought two of any of the guns that he's got. <laughs> and I no longer own that way. I could have kept one of them. Well, that's a good way to look at it. Anything you sold? Um, I sold an AR-180 that I owned for a while. And that was a fun gun to own. But honestly, it was, I don't like owning guns that are over a thousand bucks personally. Like they're fun and everything. I mean, I was hanging out at a gun shop all the time. So it was a no brainer. Like I was going to see another one again. It wasn't like it was the last time I was ever going to fiddle with one. And if I wanted to, I could go work at a gun shop and still do that. But uh, I'm a big fan of that gun. And that one, if I could have kept one, I guess I probably would have. But like I say, I just, I know that there's people out there that want the rare stuff. So I don't, I don't need to own it. I like having access to things, I guess. But I don't know. You haven't worn off of shooting all the time. You obviously like going shooting all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, for me, it doesn't go away. Um, and I get, you know. I hope it doesn't, because that's why I got involved. I mean, this led to where I'm at right now, uh, the joy of doing it. And I wanted other people to feel it or at least have a chance. And we've created quite a few gun people, if you want to call it that, not just firearms owners, but gun people um, that not only bought their first gun after going to the diversity shoot, but like are really into it now and talk about it all the time. And uh, I'm, I'm thankful for that. I'm glad to be able to spread that. All right. Well, nobody else is answering the what guns do you wish you would have had bought two of? Again, uh, good opportunity, rare guns, something like that. Um, ones that get used, any guns that you've used up. A little NAA, you can shoot them too much, FYI. Like they'll get all out of time after a while. So I don't shoot them, but the one, the first one that I ever bought is a Magnum. Sorry, Magnum. And uh, when we were training and stuff all the time, we went, we were training a lot. Like we would shoot all the time. I mean, I shot a lot. I know what it's like to shoot a lot because I've 
literally every single day shooting a lot. And for some amount of that time for a while there, we would think of that NAA as the third backup. And instead of everybody shooting theirs, we all shot this one because it was taking some beating after shooting the Magnum a lot. So uh, some guns, I'm trying to think of what other guns I beat apart shooting the heck out of them. I guess none that I didn't already buy two of, but uh, man, there's probably a bunch. You know what else would be an interesting gun to add to a list of which I would have bought two of is a single action army or a single action revolver of any kind, really, because they're super fun to have two of. Even 1911s, honestly, it's fun to have a dual setup of some things. Yeah, I mean, uh, another two of. Uh, I picked up two uh, CZ-75s. Um, when they were on sale, Israeli police trade-ins. I was able to get uh, <clears throat> I was able to get two of those, which was awesome because I didn't think I would be able to pull that off and didn't even mean to. Did it by accident. But uh, that's one of the cooler things. And what it allowed me to do because they were older CZs and it was harder to get magazines for those, it gave me two mags right off the bat because they each came with one. <laughs> so until I was able to find a source for the CZ, early CZ pre-B magazines, I had two <laughs> mags. So I was able to run uh, mag changes and I actually used it in competition. Thank goodness so I will... stages. So <laughs> uh, I bought... Whenever I was growing up as a gun owner, I guess, like I've owned guns forever, but then you become on your own, right? And now you don't just have access to your family's guns. Now you're on your own, right? So on that journey, somewhere along in there, um, I went from just owning guns to having stuff that I was going to carry. And then at least back in the old days, it was a little different. We didn't have experience from others. We just had to experience stuff for ourselves. So like a lot of people, I went with a little J-frame, big, heavy little J-frame because mm -hmm. it was inexpensive. And then around a little bit until I got to the Ruger uh, P89s, I think I had. the P. No, I had P. I can't remember if I had 85. I think 85 was the first one, so I had 89s, I think. But something about the ambidextrous safeties on them. <laughs> I was an idiot. I thought that was the coolest thing ever. And I, they were affordable. <laughs> I don't remember what they cost, but anyway, I buy everything on we call it way away, I guess, back in the day. So I got my first one and, and I don't know, just being a kid or just, I guess, I don't know, living, having grandparents that lived through the depression. Maybe that's the way to say it. Like I understood the idea of having a lot of magazines. So I would always buy magazines for that thing. Whenever you go to a gun show, you buy magazines. You can buy inexpensive magazines at gun shows. All your magazines don't have to be awesome. Right. It's nice to have a lot of good ones, but you can have other ones for practice and for recreational shooting. So you're not ruining your good ones. Right. So I always had that philosophy. But then at some point I decided I'm going to buy a second one of these things. And this was again, this was in the 90s, early 90s. So right, with this was yeah, this was in the early 90s still. So uh, way before any Y2K or any of that stuff. But then when Y2K happened, I was like, oh, I already got two of these. I'll just buy the carbine and then blah, blah, blah. And, you know, it all added up. But they did make a carbine for that gun after a while. So you could buy a rifle that used the same magazines. And then you could buy these 30-round stick mags for that thing. Um, but anyway, having a dual rig was one of, I didn't, I didn't 
seek out to have a dual thing, but uh, there must have been, I was going to ask, is there some movie or something where somebody had dual 1911s on like an old web belt? Because I remember having my, uh, you know, the old nylon versions of the old leather holsters, the, the military yep. flap holster. Mm-hmm. You know, those are like a million guns. So you can jam these Rugers in there. So I had that outfit when in the 90s. It's like a, a gun on each side. <laughs> and I was like, one, if a, you know, if this is like like a tool belt. Like I've got this when I need it, but until I need it, it's just a way to hold these things. But if I needed them, what if your girlfriend needed a gun or if some, you know, something happened and you had, you all had to boogie. And I don't know what I was thinking. I was just like preparing, you know, like if everybody needed to yeah. boogie and, and you got these two guns, you can always throw a gun to somebody and it's in a holster. So the worst case scenario, give me five seconds. and I'm going to pull this off of here. Now here's a gun and a holster for you. So I was like, it made total sense to me to just have two guns you know, two sidearms. And anyway, so then all I'm getting at is I've had a dual rig of P89 since I was a kid, like a long time ago. And then over the years, I haven't like always had a dual rig, but I've understood how cool it is to have a dual rig, right? And and when you get a dual rig of single actions, it's a whole nother level, especially when you live out here. But, you know, just, it's just super cool. I mean, you've worn a leather rig with two uh, single action revolvers. Have you ever worn one? No, <laughs> no, I've worn a leather rig, but that was my dad's, and he had for the uh, Smith and Wesson six, excuse me, five eighty okay. six that he had, but it was only single. But you can imagine when you got two of those on, it's just it's like wearing a saddle or something, or like wearing mm-hmm. chaps or something. Wearing a leather holster is di- what leather cowboy holster is different than anything else. It's like putting on a leather cowboy belt. It's going to be different. You got a big ass belt buckle on it. So uh, anyway, a dual rig is kind of. Uh, an interesting thing. So I, I guess that would be a different question. What would you be interested in having as a dual rig? I've been blabbing here for a while. I don't know if you want to comment on any of that. We'd have gotten some other responses though to the what cool. do we see of two of the Bushmaster A2 back in the day, I guess. I don't know. I guess any I don't know what's so good about that one specifically, unless it was a good deal or something. Well, they they closed up. I mean Bushmaster got sold. Uh, to what you call a group and they moved out of Maine and then Wyndham Weaponry opened up and that became, that was Bushmaster. This, the guy that opened Bushmaster actually opened Wyndham Weaponry, but it still wasn't an A2. You know what I mean? I hear you. Was, so in other words, they have one with the name. Yeah. Like while it was actually with that name. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Before it got tainted by having again the same company that helped run other larger firearms companies got a hold of it and just trashed the name. So yeah. So five five hundred brings up a good one. If it was before nineteen thirty four, I would have bought two Tommy guns. So I can remember <laughs> literally sitting around at lunch at school back in the day, and that's the kind of conversations we would have because we were gun nerds, and we mm-hmm. would be talking about if it was pre nineteen thirty four. That means the guns that existed in nineteen thirty four. Mm-hmm. What and if you knew it was coming, what would you have been buying? And you know, it was a limited number, and Tommy guns are going to be in that list. But you know, there were a lot of interesting guns that were full auto. Or yeah, short. yeah. I would have purchased a Colt Monitor and uh, a couple of BARs. Because <laughs> you know, like, you've uh, seen the Colt. I, I think the Colt Monitor is just so cool. Uh, FN made a version of it too. And it was a BAR cut down to be something that uh, one person, one agent carried. Uh, that was a semi-automatic or actually a fully automatic firearm 
in the day when most people had lever actions or pump action shotguns. And here you come with a full auto 30 out six. That's like as long as the carbine? Uh, actually, it was short. I think it had like an 18 inch barrel or something like that, but it's like spitting out freaking 30 out six rounds from a 20 round magazine in like 1934. <clears throat> you know, because the, the bullcrap um, uh, legacy surrounding that time frame. It was like, oh, the police at the time, their 38s couldn't penetrate the, you know, the the cars of back in the day. So when they were chasing gangsters down, they couldn't shoot them behind the wheel or some crap like that. Um, and that's why they shot up uh, Bonnie and Clyde with, supposedly. Not a BAR, but a semi-automatic full-powered rifle. So if you had one of those things, you just buzz cutting those old 1930s <laughs> sedans. Like you are the coolest guy at the range. You shot so bars that, before? Never shot one. I mean, I, you know, not not a BAR, no. Okay. Um, Light machine guns, a, yeah. Seven six two, you know, by fifty one full autos, yeah. I mean, I ran the M sixty E three, but to have that classic, I'd love I'd love to shoot that. There's one possibility. I can't guarantee nothing, but I'm going to try to look into when, are you coming out for the gun rights policy conference? I don't know. Um, because if I do, I'm going to do a diversity shoot at the same time. Cause it's in September. There's a dude out here that does, uh, uh, weapons from foreign, foreign weapons familiarization for the Marines. So mm -hmm. he'll, he'll take like, uh, essentially a, a selection of foreign weapons that you're going to find on a battlefield and that can be giant because of warlords and you know just people pulling stuff out of the the basement mm -hmm. in a war zone or whatever so in order for that the marines aren't encountering anything that they don't know how to break they will show them all how to break all these things and how to shoot them <laughs> i guess also and uh and walt is awesome and for lots of different occasions the one that comes to mind is he had a share the sheriff that was running or a guy that was running for sheriff was a good dude and Walt did a, a, a fundraising, like awareness event where for like, I don't remember, but you'd get like 10 rounds of each type of caliber of ammo. Like, let's say you pick nine millimeter for some reason, it was legal so people could do it. They would get like a bag of 10, 10 or 20 or whatever of the whatever caliber. Then you'd go over and, and he would just have sort of what he probably does for the Marines. He just puts out all these guns on tables at the firing line. And then you just kind of go through there and go, oh, okay, this gun is the caliber I have. So let me load up a magazine and shoot it out of here, full auto, right? Because these are all just good to go, 100% real guns or whatever. So um, uh, that would be fun. That's where I've shot bars, is Walt's bars. And uh, if there was something going on at a time when you were out here, well, and I'm sure you'd be invited as a Marine or whatever, like you probably, I'm almost positive I could just invite you. So that's the... Um, that's where I could offer it, but I'm guessing you could probably just go to, I'm not saying you could probably just go to Vegas next time you're there and, and shoot anything like that out of their vaults. And I'm sure their guns come from all kinds of interesting sources, right? Cause actually that'd be interesting to go talk to the armors and find out where their guns are from. But anyway, you, it's worth shooting a bar. I guess what I was getting at is because they are like you say 30 odd six and the, well, I don't know what to call it. I guess the uh, recoil impulse is that the right word? Like mm -hmm. it is sort of an interesting. 
boom, 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 like pace or you know shot cadence or whatever that would be called. Um, yeah. They don't quite, and then especially when you shoot one of them and then move over three spots and then shoot a stem, which essentially just drop, they just shoot, let out like water, they just empty, or like a Glock pistol, you know, they just empty uh, compared to some of the bigger calibers that just need more time to operate, you know, the bolt has to move more, so it's going to take longer for the rounds to get up in between. Some of them, you turn a dial and it goes faster and slower. Yeah, <laughs> it's insane. Okay, so then uh, going back, and then Chewbacca also said, I guess a 1911 customized. So dual rig 1911s, I think, are pretty cool. Be like the old gangsters or even the old cowboys and have a 45 in each hand. I'm guessing he means, well, does each 45 does he mean? I think I'll take either one. Yeah, at this point, either one of them is good. So worthwhile fun is saying, I like the idea of concealing two 365 being ambidextrous. So uh, do girl carry, is it like cross draw? Right? <laughs> is, that, is that a cool way for girls to dual carry? Or is it like uh, shoulder holster dual carry? Or is it like one in the waistband, one in the purse type of thing, one in the backpack, one in the hidden holster or whatever, like how do the girls dual carry, I wonder. Or is it like, what's her um, face with the drop legs? I know one who carries. I know one who dual carries. And uh, she does it in one of those, uh, what do you call it? The, the belt around your waist. Uh, um, yeah, I just call that a hidden. I just call that a hidden because I can't remember the name of it either. But yeah, the one from, I don't know yeah, it's it's not. Oh no, no, no! It's not that one from uh, Sarah and her husband. Uh, uh, I almost said Philster Enigma. It's not the Enigma. Okay. Uh, this particular one, the belly band. She actually carries a Glock 17 and a Glock 19 in the belly band, and that's one of the bad, just badass ladies I know that she carries a full size. She carries a Glock 17 and a 19 at the same time at all times i heard her say it on the podcast and i met her in person and i asked her and she was like here and opened up her shirt like like let me look in and she had them both on i'm like well she is not bsing now, i thought that was impressive because people tell you what you can and can't wear and not have people notice and i'm like no nah, this is a lady carrying around what we call a compact <laughs> a full size and a compact handgun. Where do you fall down on carrying a backup or a dual? So I guess we're talking like carrying two same, I guess we started this by talking about two same size guns, like in a dual kind of one on each side type of thing. But there are lots of people that carry a big gun, a little gun, one gun and a backup. Okay. Again, if you've got a spouse or a old enough kid or a parent or just a coworker who's capable but they're not carrying is it prudent to carry something especially if something you know if you're concerned uh or just if you understand that guns are machines and murphy's law you can what do they say new york reload or whatever but in reality if something goes down you can try to diagnose and be super fast gunsmith whatever or reholster and grab that other one 
But anyway, where do you where do you fall on backups and second guns? I feel you're getting into fantasy band camp thing, but whatever makes you feel good um, and that you do it consistently, then cool. And again, as long as they're, yeah, do you. Um, most people, many people don't even carry a spare magazine. But if you're one of those guys that are going to have your, what is it, your, your main gun, a reload and a secondary gun, Good to go because I only know one incident, and it was a robbery in Florida. And uh, there was an older gentleman there, and he was actually one of the pilots for John Kennedy when he was president. Obviously, uh, this was a Marine Corps helicopter pilot for Marine One, so he retired from the Marine Corps and then became a Delta pilot and retired from that. So the guy had, you know, serious, you know, coin, and he was having uh, dinner at Subway. Just stopped by, grabbed a sandwich, and two guys came in and robbed the place while he was there, and it was only him and the manager. Well, that was fine. The guy gave up his wallet. No problem. Have a good day. He's like, it's just money. But when they tried to get them to go to a secondary location, that's when the Marine Corps veteran that he was, and I understand he flew for JFK. JFK was president. It was assassinated in 63. So... That lets you know how old this guy was. So his carry piece was obviously a 1911. He drew and pretty much shot the guy that was had him at gunpoint and dropped him. And the second guy came running and he put three rounds at him. He actually shot the guy through the chest, through the throat. And I think he missed one. So his gun locked open. So he reached for his mag. His mag fell down his pants leg because he had it in a cheap inside the waistband holster. So he reached for a secondary gun, which was an NAA Black Widow, if you remember those, with the folding handle and everything. By the time he got it out, the guy was past him, shoved him out of the way, and ran out of the door. So, again, the only scenario that I knew a secondary gun was used, it was just something he was holding in his hand as the guy ran past him. And the guy was still a threat because the guy ran past him with a gun in his hand. He just didn't think about shooting the guy because he'd already been shot twice. Um, so, yeah, you might be able to, but you got to practice and everything else. Is it realistic? Hey, it's your self-defense plan. Do you? Yeah, for me, I think like I think it's unrealistic to think like, oh, I'm going into a dangerous neighborhood, so therefore I'm going to arm up, right? Because mm -hmm. that don't mean nothing. Like bad people usually aren't bad in front of their house. They're going to go be bad somewhere else. So all that good stuff, you know, whatever. Like that's just paranoid. I don't get into that too much. Um, and then when you get into like winter and all that, I think there's something to be said for that. Like, you know, people are going to all have coats on. Then you're just going to need a different gun than if you're in Hawaii or someplace or in Florida or someplace where there's no coat. There's absolutely there's no chance of wearing a coat. Um, but when I, when I would carry two is when I was at the shop. So yeah, you can call me paranoid I want, but I'm carrying two guns when I'm working at a gun shop and when I'm mm -hmm. hanging out at gun shops all the time and when I'm in and out of gun shops all the time. So same thing applies when I go to the range. If I go to the public range, then I'm wearing two. And if I'm out at just shooting, I'm wearing two because bad people aren't idiots. They strategize. They think they know what they're doing. And if they think they got you, then they're not going to get you. You know what I mean? Like, make sure that they're not going to get you. 
Um, so I think there are definitely times when two is appropriate and it's not a burden. Where in two gets you over the glitch that where in two is a burden. People are like, oh, where in two puns? Oh my goodness. Oh no, that's such, oh my, that's overkill. But they were saying the same thing. You, you talk to an anti-gunner and you, you carry a gun every day? Mm -hmm. A loaded gun with you, even when you're not in a shower and some people even have a shower gun and that's not a joke. Like, come on, man. Like, Bad guys wait till you're in the shower and then bust in the door. Do you think they're stupid? Like in an apartment situation where they can tell, you know, like it's a hell, like what are you thinking? Or in a mobile home or something, you know, there's ways to know when somebody's in the shower, what if you're just routine or whatever. So, you know, it's not paranoid to understand tactics and to whatever of no consequence, have something stationed by or some standby or something like that. So anyway, yeah, that, that whole idea of two, I can understand it, but um, again, there's just Murphy's Law is the other thing. Like for the amount of inconvenience it could ever be. Oh, I guess what I was getting at is uh, going out and wearing two once in a while gets you past the thing of wearing two because then you're going to be more apt because I don't always wear, I'm not going to wear two on my belt, right? Yep. I'm going to have usually one in my pocket, one on my belt, one in my belt, one on my leg. And that's the thing. If you can carry on your leg and you get over that, carrying on your leg is super convenient for like a lot of things for a lot of people and you just don't think about it because you don't do it and you think in the movies it's a blah 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 and you got to do a ninja roll yeah, you don't listen to those people in real life your feet are by your hands all the freaking time if you sit in a regular car if you sit in a uh, recliner you know if you're like sitting in a folding chair like you're you're within reach of your ankles all the dang time and you don't have to react in a draw situation it's almost always not that it's almost always let me hide behind here and you're crouching down so anyway i'm just saying like it's not uncommon or ridiculous i don't think or unrealistic i guess the word is looking for to carry on an ankle and once people start carrying on an ankle now you understand why a 380 or a j-frame a little lightweight j-frame that kind of hurts and is annoying to shoot but man on an ankle you forget you got it on there like you're walking into showers with your j-frame on because you're like oops Forgot I got my J frame on. <laughs> yeah, never, never worn anything on my ankle. You got to get used to it for sure. And then there's the idea of wearing a tourniquet and some stuff on an ankle, which, again, depending on how and how, you know, if you're by yourself and you're free spirit and you're doing your thing, sitting around the house, yeah, what's that one thing? But if you got people you're responsible for, right, and they're not necessarily worried about everything, having a tourniquet on your ankle which weighs, I don't know, how much does a bunch of rubber weigh? I'm thinking a SWAT tourniquet on a very low pro, low cost, inexpensive little Velcro elastic ankle thing. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that's going to be very inexpensive and easy to carry around. And now anything from like a dog to a youngin to a frail person who couldn't handle a real tourniquet, you know, you get some older people, they're not going to handle a tourniquet. You're breaking bones. Be realistic here. Understand how humans work but a big elastic band. Now just think about like something happens and you got to bust into a $14 elastic band to make your spouse more comfortable, your child more comfortable on something where you're just holding an ice pack to their head. It's like a super practical thing to have as like a, you know, a SWAT tourniquet and having that on your ankle, getting used to that. Again, it might seem like a massive burden, but so did carrying around a gun all the time. So did having insurance, right? Like, Oh, I got to buy insurance. I never even use it. And then you get used to it and it's like, yeah, I'm glad it's there. Uh, thigh holster in dresses. Oh my goodness. Thigh holster in dresses is great as long as it's a secure setup. 
I don't know if either of us, we can mansplain about that, but I don't think we either have experience on that one. Wouldn't even oh, yeah, that's that's uh, not even in a fashion show or nothing like that. Um, oh, G23 is saying, I always have a firearm that is a backup when I'm at the range. Uh, I need to do it more often when I'm away from the range. You mean like away from the table when you're downrange? That's why I always want one too. Because even if someone just pulls up and they're about to shoot at the 25-yard line and you're down thinking around at the 100-yard line, you can go into the ground and they're like, what, what? You know, they know you're down there. I mean, worst case scenario, I'm not saying you just do that every time somebody shows up, but you know, you're not necessarily getting in a gunfight at the range is I guess what I'm saying. Like just having a loud noisemaker is a good idea. You go downrange to the 200-yard line, find a bunch of coyotes down there, a bunch of javelinos with javelina babies. Well, if you're the only one at the range, you can go into the ground because it's totally appropriate. And then javelinas and their babies are going to run off and you can continue shooting the rest of the day without having to worry about being mean to javelinas or getting run over by one. If you got to deal with that, you know, it might be turkeys or it might be deers or something where you're at. Well, the thing is, I'm guessing some deers, you're going to go into the ground and they're going to be like, shut up over there. I'm eating. You look alone. <laughs> like they're not. Yeah, right. Especially range deer. Um <clears throat> Range 14 here on Fort Dix, it's, you know, against range rules. I actually carry a firearm downrange, um, but that's neither here nor there. Just throwing that out there in case, you know, somebody out there wants to know, I guess, is information I had in my head. But we have deer that are on the range over there. And if you're thinking about a regular civilian range, you got to think about Fort Dix, New Jersey is a combined military base with Army, <laughs> Army, uh, Navy, and Air Force. Their bases have artillery and mortars and grenade rangers. Those deers will not flinch at a regular firing range. <laughs> like, like they have impact zones for ordnance delivered by A-10 warthogs. And they'll just be standing on the edges eating grass watching the delivery? Yeah. Yeah, they're like coming in hot. And they're like, oh, don't stand over there, but you can stand over here and it's no big deal. They probably dig it too, you know. They're not, they're still mammals. They probably dig the impact because when you're standing next to stuff getting hit like that, it's pretty neat. (laughs) And plus, if something's growing up, you know, the first deer that walked into the area, an A-10, comes by and drops a bunch of stuff. They're like, oh, my goodness. But that little baby deer is like, oh, wow, that happened, and it didn't hurt me. And, you know, <laughs> and they're having little babies, and they're like, oh, watch this. <laughs> you know, they're just like spectators. They probably did. But one crazy thing is they all know when hunting season is because now they turn into ninjas. I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> this thing wouldn't move. We were firing, and the things, like a whole family of them, ran across the berm ran down the field, ran up, down like from the 200 to like the 50, hung a right, and then just jumped over the pistol berm and kept going, and we're gone. We, you know, of course, we did the ceasefire. It was like, you know, next week's hunting season, right? Yeah, none of those deer are going to be there, and they weren't. <laughs> like, they just turn into ninjas. It's hilarious. But the place is packed with deer, so hey, you're in Jersey. You can get a permit to hunt there. Um, they give them out to the military. You can actually hunt on a military base, and it has it uh, divided up into sectors and zones. I think, that, I mean, it probably depends on the alert levels or something, but you can do the same down here at that Fort Hachuca. 
Okay, cool. A, they're on the side of a mountain, and you can go up and hunt on the mountain, I think. Well, I know people that have back in the day, but like I said, it might not be all the time. Uh, then worthwhile fun is saying tactical kilts are a thing. Yeah, we've got at least two or three people in Arizona that wear them all the time. Uh, so I'm used to seeing them, I guess. Uh, you guys, you have anybody out there that wears a kilt? No, I mean, I'd rock it. I don't care. It's easier. It's shorts. I mean, to me, it's just a pair of shorts. It's just different. But of course, you know, it makes a statement. Nah, it's just another outfit, dude. Get over it. He thinks he's an otter or something. He's not even in the to wake up. He's like, I'm up, but I'm not standing up. He's saving his energy for all the... Huh? He's saving all his energy for all the stuff he does when you're uh, <laughs> you're asleep. Yeah, yeah. yeah, they were getting into trouble. I had to pick them up because they were out there running around. Um, I think with that, we'll start wrap. We will wrap it up. Uh, you've got another shoot coming up. Is it till the 20 something? 27th. Yep. April 27th. So, uh, yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to push this and see how much advertising I can do using my, uh, 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 resources available through Eventbrite, uh, shooting out emails to those. I have like now 96 followers on, uh, <laughs> hey, I have no problem doing that. You find me a 5'11 kilt that, that fits. I mean, you got to go to 1022 uh, clothing, which <laughs> is actually my, my dot com, uh, 1022clothing.us, and uh, to get one of those. It was going to say, have Charlie playing the bagpipes or something, and then you're shooting. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> could, could be. Uh, or at least his trumpet. Same, whatever. Wind instrument. But uh, yeah, so we got that coming up on the 27th at Union Hill Gun Club. Obviously, if you go to my amazing site, diversityshoot.com, you can click on the link and purchase your ticket for the event on the 27th today. It, it's posted. Sunday, I'm going to obviously post up a video talking about it <clears throat> because I try to do something like that first thing in the morning uh, because it gets more views if it's there at the beginning of the day somehow. Um, uh, and I'm on, you know, tactical timeout over on IG. They're not suggesting my videos anymore, even though I did have a huge post yesterday with the Glock 420. I don't know if you saw it. Uh, somebody uh, 3D printed a, <laughs> the a 3D Glock printed thing. Yeah. Yeah. With the bomb. Yeah. And uh, all I did was repost it and put Glock 420 up, the Freedom Bomb. And, uh, Lots of shares. And I'm like, oh, why doesn't this happen with my regular friggin' posts? <laughs> I'm talking they went over 4,500 in less than 12 hours. Now, they uh, got mad at that? or They didn't get mad at it yet, but they've been known to pull my stuff afterwards, and it's really annoying. So, yep, there's the link with the screen share. And so I guess we, we have it set up so that you can go look around the diversity shoot site and check out what the diversity shoot is and the stuff Tony's done. But basically click on this, our next event button here, and then that takes you over to Eventbrite. Like you said, you got 97 people following over there. So if you're interested in creating an account over there, helping Tony out on the platform, 
uh, I don't think there's any cost to be a member of the Eventbrite platform and then you go over and follow Tony. There's probably other people to follow that are interesting also. But then here's your next event, April 27th. And if somebody wanted to uh, participate this, you could click on this. But if someone wants to just help you with the uh, funding of the event, they can purchase a, a ticket and then just not show up, right? Then kind of essentially yep. throw 20 bucks at the event or more. Mm -hmm. Right on. Yep, and to just do it part of, you know, because uh, you can write me a note, let me know you just picked up a ticket to help me out, and what I can do, because I limited the tickets to 20, uh, just to do it, but uh, if you do it, go ahead, let me know, and I can just increase the number of tickets available for people actually coming. You do it to 20 so that you don't get overwhelmed, and you kind of get an idea yeah. of, like, what kind of pace the people are showing up, but yeah, so just let, let you know so that you can adjust. Right yeah, on. exactly. Yeah, I don't want to get overwhelmed, and I don't want people not to have a good time. Um, let's see. So, Worthwhile Fun is talking about the rally coming up on April 19th in a couple of weeks. That is, what's the 19th? The 19th is going to be on a Wednesday. Uh, and that'll be at the, what's the capital of Missouri? Anyway, so there's a 2A rally coming up there. And Worthwhile Fun will be there, we're assuming. And uh, G23 is saying that Worthwhile Fun should do a video at the rally. Uh, people do those. It's just a matter of, you know, having signal strength. Uh, maybe we can arrange for Krabby Turtle to show up. And, uh, I'm such a moron. <clears throat> Jefferson City. Oh, Missouri? Yeah. See, I had no idea. Um, I mean, I knew it wasn't Springfield, but it should be because, come on, why make it difficult for everybody? I have no idea where <laughs> Jefferson City is either. Missouri. Um, yeah, exactly. No <laughs> Um, let's see, was telling one of my DC, DC project ladies that we need to get video this time. Right on. Uh, well, let's make it saying in the middle of the state. When you, uh, here's my question. We, I don't know if I've ever asked this before. I think I have actually, I just don't remember. Cause I think we were talking about Pennsylvania at mm -hmm. the time we were doing the Pennsylvania shoot, but, uh, Smeggy's saying you do the 20 people slot thing so that you can judge how much pizza to buy also because you bring uh, food for the event um, or you get pizza for the event uh, part of the you know the event is part of it is food so uh, I guess my question is do you go to like the local place or do you go to like the chain place how do you do the pizza at these places at these local plates Okay, Local so people are showing up because of the pizzas, not just like, oh, here's some industrial corporate pizza that we provide, but instead it's like, oh, good, I like so-and-so's pizza, and I get some of that pizza. I think if I would have done a national chain pizza in New Jersey, the diversity shoot would have died out the first year. You are not going to mess with people's pizza here in Jersey, New York area, and show up with some Domino's or some Pizza Hut. Are people like, 
oh, you brought XYZ and I only eat one, two, three? Or is it like, okay, you didn't buy a factory pizza, so I'm okay yeah. with it, even though it's not my brand? Okay. Yeah, they they would definitely, uh, <clears throat> because it's like, what's a good pizza place? And again, you're, you're dealing with North Jersey, New York area, people who all think they're pizza experts. So everybody might have a different opinion what's a good pizza joint, but everybody agrees that uh, corporate pizza is garbage. Okay. Right on. So that would be an interesting, well, I think I mentioned this before, but like having a uh, feature of the food, you know, feature, because you are going to different places now when you take the thing on the, when you take the shoot on the road, um, you know, you're going to be visiting different pizza places too, but uh, just for that element of it, um, I know I'd be curious to see, you know, what the pizzas look like. Uh, let's see. So we were wrapping up, but we're getting people saying stuff. So I might as well. Um, so Maggie's saying if he owned a pizza shop, he would sponsor. It's probably possible to add that uh, element to it at some point if you had enough time. G23 is trying to get the wife to move to Ava, Missouri. I don't know where that is, but I could think of the only thing I didn't like about Missouri was the mosquitoes and stuff. Otherwise, I think <laughs> Missouri is probably pretty good. You ever spend any time in Missouri? Yeah, St. Louis. Oh, yeah. We need to train and learn. Mm-hmm. Train okay. and learn. <clears throat> Got a picture of the Ark. Uh, Marco and I were driving by. I'm trying to take a picture, and I ended up running up on the freaking divider. <laughs> As I'm trying to drive and take a photo of the Ark, he was like, dude, just give me the camera. <laughs> give me the phone. Uh, at Train and Learn in 2019. <clears throat> but uh, yeah, it's it's what you call it down there. Oh. Um, Swampy, hot, and horrible. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I got, to do, basic. I got to do basic in, in Missouri, so I call it Missouri. Yeah. Missouri. But uh, no, it's all right. It's, like I say, except for the heat part, I don't like that part. The, our heat's better because I like the dry part where there's no bugs in the dry heat for the most part. Um, yeah. But anyway, you're going to the winters. I don't know. They weren't that bad, but I don't I guess I don't know the winters that much, but they didn't. I don't hear too many people complaining about their winters. And they're right in the middle of everything for that. I know I wish I was in St. Louis. Uh, yeah, I think it's the St. Louis this this coming weekend or right now is actually the uh, collector show, the ammo collector show that I've always wanted to attend. And this year they're. Uh, auctioning off a bunch of the collect this one giant IMO collection that was here in Tucson. And uh it would be fun to have been in Springfield right now this weekend. But uh Smeggy saying he met up with Foos and went shooting. Yeah Foos is in northwestern I believe like up at the oh man what do they call that towns Kansas City, Missouri, right? I think. Yeah, because I'm going to be in Kansas City, Kansas <clears throat> um, in May for the diversity shoot there. Hmm. Oh, I forgot when you do that one that you're going to be doing a multi-stop one. Mm-hmm. You want to take a second and talk about that? Yeah, um, Kansas City, we're going to be doing the uh, <clears throat> diversity shoot. We call it the Midwest Tour. 
uh, right now we're still confirming ranges. Uh, and definitely we're going to be in Kansas City. We're going to be in Wichita, Kansas, uh, because we got that confirmation. Uh, we're also going to be in Lincoln, Nebraska and Tulsa, Oklahoma. So once we get 100% confirmations, we'll be putting that information up. So you can actually go and check us out. Uh, we're going to be at range 54. Uh, actually, I'm just looking at my uh, <clears throat> my uh, text messages about the event. So uh, range 54 is in Wichita. And uh, I look forward to actually getting out there and being with these people. Uh, I have to contact friends and, and, and people that said they actually help us as volunteers in the area. <clears throat> so we can get some experience, actual firearms instructors um, involved and also get their social media involved and have them talking about the diversity shoots so we can increase the number of, you know, amount of foot traffic we have coming in and make it a successful event for everybody involved, including the ranges themselves and the Second Amendment organizations in the state. Because it's not just about, hey, Tony, do the diversity shoot. It's about getting the Second Amendment organizations at state level to come out and introduce themselves to everyday shooters like you and me. Maybe you don't know who the Second Amendment organizations in your state are, or you've never met them in person, and you're kind of leery because of things that happen with the NRA and the money we donated and the question, you know, questions people have about the trust issues that were created. Well, cool. You can come to a diversity shoot and meet the second amendment groups in the state, in your state. And that's what we're trying to do with this Midwest tour, introduce people that are fighting in their state and get them involved because we're going to win in the courts. Now that the Bruin decision has been made, it's just the lawsuits have to go through. So if you want to see things like the NFA get shut down, because according to Bruin, that's unconstitutional. It's going to have to come from places. It's going to have to go through state courts. It's going to have to be brought up in the lawsuit. And these local organizations are the ones that fund these lawsuits, along with the big organizations. So that's one of the important parts about the diversity shoot, is actually getting to meet these people, joining these organizations, and then you can talk to them face-to-face, -face, see where your money's going. Uh hold them up to some accountability because it's a lot smaller than NRA. Now you can say what you want, but NRA has between 60 and 80,000 members that show up for the NRA annual meeting, but very few of them, like what, what's like 200 people is a packed uh, members meeting. Like that's a lot of people. And, and they had 80,000 people show up in, in Atlanta there's 200 uh, the, seats in the room and 60 show up, but 60, I think, would be like a lot. But you're definitely the percentages. Like, will show up for a me annual event. Yeah, you, you robot it out. Oh, go ahead now. But yeah, I agree with you that so many people show up for the meeting and events or for the annual events, but they don't show up meeting part where the where there's an actual opportunity to show by numbers how easy it would be to show numbers with people trying to cram into the room that there's something, you know, that there's an issue. But honestly, yeah. they could even do that on the other side. Everybody could wear a teal color shirt, buy one from the tea project, wear it and show, hey, everyone teal, why is that? Because they want, you know, a different leadership or something. 
100%. And these guys do walk the floor. They know what people are saying. Sorry, my internet's all crapping in and out. Um, since I've got you, and I was going to ask you this stuff anyway, let's do it live. Uh, am I missing any of your podcasts? I have your different uh, accounts on the different platforms out there that I may be missing a couple because you have a lot of them. You're, I'm sure you're distributing on some player, some player distributor thingies. But uh, I've got the one that you do with Rob Morris, the self-defense gun stories. Mm-hmm. And when does that come out? Uh, it comes out every week, but I'm on it every every five to six weeks. Okay, so co-host on this one, and that's does it come out on a specific day? <clears throat> um, I think they come out on Fridays. I think okay, I'll look into that. But basically, um, I have this one, mm-hmm. and then your podcast, the Guns and Gear Review. Okay, come cool. on. Uh, right? And does that one come out on a specific day or anything? Yeah, every Friday we release that. Okay, and then this one. So am I missing anything that you do on the regular? On the regular, no. I mean, my 2A4E podcast, but again, that was supposed to be coming out every two weeks. And uh, I got one set up to come out today. All I have to do is put the uh, commercials in. Oh, okay. And that's, I mean, the easiest way to find that is what you call it, Um, Spotify, 100%, iTunes also has yeah. me on there. I think iTunes is the best way when you're going to listen to somebody, listen to them on Apple Podcasts is the best mm-hmm. way if you're going to log in and listen because you get the biggest bang for your buck, giving them a thumb up and a comment there. You're really helping the channel out. Some of the other platforms, they don't not almost so recognize it. Yeah, well, they just don't, they're not, it's not their feature. You know, they don't, they don't rely on it. So at least in my opinion, I guess I could easily be wrong because I don't use these platforms all that much. I, I stream to them, but I don't go in and monitor my traffic on them very much. But I do know the Apple one values your feedback there a lot. So if as a v- listener, you're deciding, I want to listen to Tony's podcast, where should I listen to it? I think the best you can do to help Tony would be to go to Apple and listen to it there and leave a comment, a positive comment, and a five-star rating. Uh, because they're the ones who are going to value that and put Tony up higher than others, where the other platforms are just, we're all kind of, you know, we're all just number of listens. That's it. Only number of listens are calculated. Yeah, it's really, uh, (laughs) it's, it's funny because I can look at the analytics and see how much, you know, what percentage of the show is downloaded from Apple. You know what I mean? Like, uh, like the percentage of my audience and Apple is like Apple podcast is 56%. And then everything else is broken up into the other what 44% and nothing has over 10% of that. Oh my goodness. What's that? I just looked at my, my gender of people that listen, 88% male, 5% female. That's pretty good. So there's a gap there, but uh, it's pretty good. Of unidentified and non-binary, which yeah, I, I, I have a huge percentage of non-binary. I mean, 4%. That's what I was going to say. Like, that's not a gap because of a discrepancy. That's a gap because they chose not to choose one of those probably, or they didn't give them an option or some shit. 
Yeah, who knows? Yeah. Um, so, uh, oh, I guess there was uh, another <laughs> one that came up as he's, everybody's talking over here. Uh, Mike White was kind of going back and forth. I can. Oh, sorry, I missed the conversation. We were there. They're just talking to each other about uh, G23 is trying to get a court case started against California. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, then Mike White had said, you were speaking of the New York State Rifle and Pistol Association decision. All of a sudden, they are all over Judge Clarence. Uh, Oh. Well, they're saying he's saying Judge Clarence Thomas. Okay. So I guess uh, what did he do? He did something, and they're going to try to go after the person because of his his uh, number of rulings, right? They're probably getting sick of his rulings on things that are anti infringements or anti state. And, uh, you know, I mean, they're going to start going after him again as an individual to try to get him out of there, I'm assuming. Or maybe that's just another tactic or that's another tactic, but they're not really well thought out. Everyone, and I think each side does this, when they're in charge, they think they're gonna be in charge forever. And the precedents they set won't be used against them. Yeah, good point. I'm like, keep playing stupid games. Um Again, not a big Trump fan, don't even want to get into it, but when you indict a president on something you've never charged anyone with before, you know you're playing politics, and I'm like, that's silly, and it should be embarrassing on the world stage. Hey, I don't know how much time everybody's got, but I'm about to poke another thing here since we kind of (laughs) approaching it. Um, I was listening to a podcast from... Oh, what's his name? I'll find it here in a second. The one dude who's a SEAL. He does an interview show. And Sean, somebody? Uh, oh, wait. I need to go to my history, I guess. Uh, anyhow, it was uh, somebody Bustamante, I think is his name. He's an ex-CIA guy. And it, he was doing it. They were having an interview, and it was about um, China, the China situation. And I guess uh, um, the idea is that to look at it as the United States, and tell me if this is way too far off topic, but United States, you know, we have a president every four years. The longest they can stick around is eight years. We probably, in the big scheme of things, tend to kind of fluctuate back and forth all the time. So when you look at China, who doesn't have to worry about elections, good or bad, they don't have to worry about elections, and that person's going to just stay there as long as they want. Yeah, Andrew Bustamante, you ever heard of this guy? And then on the Sean Ryan show? I, he might have been on, um, what's the Somebody other show on. we both listen to uh, with the two guys? I don't think he was on Team House, but he may have oh, been. Okay. I, don't, I don't remember him, but if I... I'm going to go look and see because this interview was good enough that I want to go find other interviews with the guy. But his take mm-hmm. on the China thing was sort of, he had a lot of takes on it. This is a long interview. But um, yeah. the idea, though, that they're in it for the long game. And we're over here and they know that we're going back and forth with our politics mm-hmm. every four years. And since we don't play long game on very many things at all, except for things that are, what would you call like CIA, black book, like, 
Cold War stuff and everybody got mad that we were playing stuff below the table. But, you know, except for that kind of stuff, which is borderline, we're not supposed to do it. We're you know, supposed to be super transparent. Well, then we become transparent for our adversaries and they can play us because they're looking at our playbook all the time. So, uh, yeah, and I'm not saying we shouldn't be transparent. I'm just saying we can come up, we should be able to do something open source that doesn't trample on rights and creates everything we want as the United States, but at the same time makes it less non-vulnerable to these players, these state players that can uh, essentially just wait us out. You know, they can wait for any policy that we've got. I think that's why I started bringing this up as you talked about, you know, policies will go back and forth and we act like, you know, we're going to be there forever. Well, that's the thing. Our adversaries know that we almost never do anything for any length of time, let alone forever. Like we don't have any opinions. And when you start thinking about that mixed with the internet, and you can literally just be a non-state player or a state player or somebody else who isn't the United States. And this guy brings up a bunch of great points. You don't have to have an agenda and meet the goal. You can just cause chaos and we spin off and do nothing but spend money and never do anything good anymore. You know, and that's something where, anyway, I, I just was going to bring any of this stuff up if any of this is worth chatting about or what you think of the idea that China can play the long game because they don't have to elect somebody every once in a while. And we are vulnerable in a lot of ways because of that concept. And we 100% are. And if you, <clears throat> I picked this concept up years ago uh, from reading Tom Clancy books. And that was one of the things they discussed in how, you know, fight America is China can have a hundred year plan. <laughs> you know, they can have a plan for the next quarter century because they know they're going to have the same government. They're not going to have a disruptor that comes through and kicks everything over. So they can have an overriding plan and then they can have specific plans. And if this one misses, that's fine. Nobody's going anywhere. Um, on to the next plan. On, on the plan two, plan three, plan four. How to take advantage of this. We have a direction that we wanted to go and you don't need a specific plan. Um, Soviet Union did the same thing. It had the same type of government. So, yeah, one part is our weakness, but the other part is we're able to make changes every four years. We're able to change the direction when things aren't working. I mean, there's good and bad. There's pros and cons all the way around. Understand that we thought the Soviet Union was this big boogie bear that had all these advanced weapons. I mean, we were in the military around the same time. Um, they told us how close it was going to be. There was never any assumption that we would like totally, just totally dominate the battlefield against Soviet equipment. Oh, yeah, not at all. We all knew we were essentially running into a grinder. Some of those mm -hmm. things would be like, you know, you've got um, 30 seconds. I, I always remember this one for some reason. You got 30 seconds as a tank uh, person in a tank, a tank mm -hmm. crew. If we actually started a non-conventional war in our time when we were in service in the 80s and 90s, because literally every item on the playing field was mapped and they had a missile for it. So as soon as they decided to go to war, they push a button or two and every single item on the playing field that couldn't haul ass was targeted and, and going to be done. taken out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, they, and they were just there to do the same to the other side. So there was like some weather people because we would send weather, you know, forward observers and stuff. Those guys probably would have to haul ass, find something to do. But you know what I mean? Like a lot of our stuff was just like attrition, just all taken off the playing field. And that's what we all knew. Well, I didn't have to do that. But people that were in the tanks and stuff, they had to have that in their mindset. They knew. I mean, Marines, you guys all know that. You're going into the meat grinder. We're but a lot dead. of people go into the military. Like, you know, oh, I'm going to go in the military. I'm going to get a college degree. 
some people like figure out, oh, wait, oh, there's memberships over on YouTube and uh yeah you roboted right out <clears throat> all right I can't hear you I'm assuming anybody else can give me a second I'll check it out All right. Yeah. So <laughs> she'll be right back. Um, yeah. But one of the assumptions we made was that the Soviet Union had this great military and the ability of us to be able to turn on the dime, make different plans, get different uh, things in. It showed its advantage when we went to war with Iraq the first time because we were able to dominate the space. We were able to dominate airspace. We were able to shut down their communications <clears throat> because we can change plans, because we can move around, because we're not a step. The Soviet Union had tanks that no one was willing to tell them that didn't work like they were supposed to. Like That's one of those things those long-term totalitarian governments have. They have built-in corruption, just like all governments, but they also have that fear. If this thing doesn't work, who do you tell if they're going to execute you because it didn't work? Well, you just tell everybody it works because it's in everybody's best interest to keep them happy. And I think that's what happened when we just disassembled Saddam Hussein because a bunch of his stuff was just straight Soviet Union blueprint of how they run things, uh, including the communication equipment. And we shut it down. We shut down that communication. We shut down their air power. And then they couldn't move or couldn't say anything without us sending a missile to wherever the heck the signal originated. And we were just able to disassemble their entire network within days. We made them combat ineffective. And then launched a war and kicked them completely out of the country and destroyed their military again in a week. So, and now with the Soviet Union going into Ukraine for a 3D operation that's over a year old now, again, showing that sometimes those totalitarian regimes with the long-range plans still doesn't help when rubber meets the road. All right, you're back, G? Hello? Yeah, I think so. I was just saying, okay. but uh, yeah, so appreciate that. I didn't, this one definitely took me out and like unconnected all my stuff, so. It's been like spotty, and that one was a dip or whatever. I don't know if they're maybe fixing something, or else I just I do have a aging wire, so I might have to just go put a new wire out there. Yeah, I had uh, I had the sound. I'm watching it on the phone. I had the sound turned down, so I had to turn it back up to see if we could hear you because it could be my connection that dropped off, and I didn't know. So it took a few seconds. So I apologize to anybody that was like, "What the heck's going on? Where'd everybody go?" Well, we've got uh, about an hour before G23's show starts up. Then uh, Brooke will have her su uh, Suicide Prevention Saturday show uh, in the evening. Uh, uh, Hillbilly Up does a Saturday show as well. And then this evening, there's already an overnight uh, set up from Foss and Baron out there. 
says all the maybes you can handle. So I'm not sure what that means, but uh, <laughs> sounds like they do have a topic for tonight. And uh, with that, I'm thinking I might try to do something here. I'm going to talk to Tony a bit off air, but he'll. Uh, but I might come online on the Gear Channel and do some uh, either patch design or something else patch related because uh, I'm having a lot of fun getting uh, patches made for the people who participated in our uh, crowdfunding campaign earlier this year, last month, uh, getting stuff made for them and seeing what this new machine can do. Uh, it's when I, I didn't really appreciate the ability of the last machine while I had it, I guess. And then as it started to age and fall apart, I couldn't, like I it wasn't able to produce good quality stuff anymore. So I was just very tolerant of it and doing all kinds of stuff to just keep it going and repairing it all the time. So anyway, I got, I lost sight of like designing or doing anything. So now I've been uh, kind of able to jump back into the, uh, using the software to design patches and some new designs and stuff. And uh, anyway, I might be uh, doing some of that here on the gear channel. Uh, as I'm watching some of these other live shows, kind of getting two things done at once. So if anybody's interested in that, join us over there. Uh, otherwise, I think we're done. We're going to put a quick, quick, quick commercial up for our gear website store. Stay tuned for more and more and more stuff being added there. As again, as I'm able to explore what the software can do and what the machine can make. We've uh, also got some other things on the way. So uh, keep checking out our gear website store. Thanks again, Tony, for joining us. We don't know what happened to Clover. He's either traveling or getting ready to travel, or he just doesn't like guns anymore. It's possible that he's, he's over the gun fad. Well, good night, everybody. Happy Easter. Oh, that's a good point. Tomorrow's Easter. So uh, if anybody is, uh, uh, what's the word? It's celebrating tomorrow, then uh, have a good Easter. What do you do on Easter? Go to church? Eat? Mm-hmm. Go to church, um, sunrise service, and then um, <laughs> think about eating food all day. <laughs> Easter egg hunts, I guess. I don't think about that. I don't have little kids around here, but that's probably a thing as well. That's a yeah. tradition. They actually, actually had one at work. I knew some people were talking about getting their Easter egg hunts all set up. Oh, they had one at work Friday. Involving, obviously, the civilians and the officers and not the inmates. <clears throat> but uh, I refuse to participate because I don't want to find anything in prison. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, nope, not going to do it. <clears throat> uh, I, I am going to figure out a way to be offended that an, an Easter bunny is delivering eggs. So I'm going to find, I'm going to figure out an angle to make that offensive to me. And that'll be my, re my justification for it. Okay. Yeah. As a gun bunny, I'm highly offended uh, that I'm not included in the festivities as part of the bunny family. There you go. <laughs> maybe there's a patch there. Yeah, right. <clears throat> All right. But, with uh, that, ending it. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. Oh, sorry. Did I cut you off there? Nope. That was it. Have okay. a great Easter. Thanks, everybody.